Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show. And this is a big episode for me. It's the 100th episode, and I am excited to get to this milestone. It's rare that I am. Um, I'm, I'm someone that starts a lot of things, but uh, I frequently struggle to keep going. I, I definitely need people around me to uh, help me uh, keep things rolling. And uh, it's a big deal for me to get to 100 episodes. I'm, I'm stoked to be here. I'm stoked to have you guys get here with me. Congratulations for those of you that have been tracking me for a good chunk of those 100 episodes. Um, if not, you've got a bunch to uh, go back and enjoy at some point, if any uh, tickle your fancy. But uh, for this episode, um, I decided to do something a bit different. Every episode, I usually ask the guests um, you know, about their faith and their deconstruction process. And uh, something that I frequently get asked is people ask me, well, where can I hear about your faith, your deconstruction process? And so um, I figured for this 100th episode, I'd ask my wife. Um, she was a little bit reluctant, maybe a little uh, camera shy. But uh to come on and ask your questions and just um, help guide me as I tell my story. Um, I'm a rambler, as you know, um, and so help guide me and keep me on the straight and narrow. Um, and I'm going to tell you my story and my process of deconstruction, where I'm at. Um, and yeah, I hope that you enjoy it. If you're not interested in my story, this is not the episode for you. Um, if you have been waiting for this, well, this is the episode for you. I, I hope you enjoy it. Um there was a couple of sound hiccups, there was a couple of technical issues that we had, um, bear with them, uh, hopefully they're not particularly noticeable at all, um, I've spent a wee while um, getting them sorted, I've been quite ill over this Christmas New Year season, hope you've had a better one than I have, I, we had a great time, um, but I've had um, some complications with my chest, a lot of chest pain, we're not sure what it is, heart, lungs, um, could be something to do with some sort of um, allergy reaction that I'm having, um, and so I've got a bunch of scans that I'm still in the process of having, um, and doctors kind of scratching their heads trying to figure out what's going on with me. Um, and so I'm going to be a bit less busy over the next couple of weeks. I really wanted to get this out to you, though. Uh, I was hoping to get this out between Christmas and New Year, but here we are, better late than never. Um, and so I do hope you enjoy this. I'm still around. I'll still try and um, interact on Instagram with people as best I can. Um, I'll definitely be uh, active on the, the discussion group, our partners discussion group. Um, as always, if you want to support what I'm doing, everything I do is free. I do this full time. Um, if you want to support what I'm doing, you can become a Patreon or a partner. Um, you can do that at patreon.com slash Phil Drysdale or phildrysdale.com slash partner. Um, and for a gift of anything from $5 a month and up, you can become a part of our private discussion group. We have fantastic discussions on there. We do monthly Zooms. There's a few other perks and stuff um, for those that give a bit more. Um, never required, but always appreciated. Um, anyway, I'll leave you there. I'll stop rambling. As I said, I ramble. Um, I need my wife and uh, these intros just to keep me on track. Um, but I really hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you enjoy um, diving in a bit and, and, and getting to know me a little bit more. Um, I know those of you that listen to the podcast regularly probably get bits and pieces as I go. Um, but I know a lot of you have been asking for this story. And so hopefully it scratches where you're itching. Um, I'd love to hear from you. I'm always happy to answer more questions and chat as well. So do feel free to shoot me a DM on Instagram anytime, uh, as always. All right, let's stop rambling and let's dive in. Enjoy the show. All right. Yeah. This is it. 100 episode. Tilly Drysdale in the flesh. Um, everyone's been looking forward to having you on the show. You're not so excited. So... No, I am excited. Okay, good. Yeah. It's just, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a podcast virgin, so um, wow. this is all very new to me. What an amateur. 2020 and you haven't even done a I know, podcast. I know. I need to get with the times. <laughs> okay. How are you feeling? 
Uh, yeah, okay. You yeah. excited? Yeah, I'm excited to find out all these things I've been wanting to know I about know, you. It's, it's such a mystery. <laughs> who, I, who am I? The enigma of Fell Drysdale. <laughs> so we decided we are going to do another uh, podcast later on. Um, but initially... We'll the podcast, see. We'll see how this Yeah, goes. we'll see how this one goes. Um, initially, this podcast is going to be um, my story, my journey, my deconstruction. A lot of people have asked me to share my deconstruction. Um, and so we thought, well, this is like a pretty soft entry, right? Because you're just going to be kind of chatting with me as I pr mm -hmm. tell people my journey, asking questions, prompting me. We've got some good questions people have submitted. We've got some really shit questions that people submitted as well. We're probably <laughs> going to skip those. Um, but yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of what we're going to do. Yeah. And we're going to dive into it as well because it's Christmas and we don't really want to be recording a podcast as much as we're excited to record a podcast. We want to be... We've got a lot to do. Chilling out. Our plans and have had to change last minute. So, uh, yeah, we've got a lot of food to buy and. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. House to clean and everything. So, yeah. yeah. But so. it's going to be good. That, it's be good. Maybe we should drag the podcast out a bit, actually. Uh, if it's yeah. cleaning and shopping are my ultimates, <laughs> I'll just do this. Yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. How do we start? Where do we go? Um, okay. So. Um, there's I a mean, lot of blank at the top yeah, of the page. Yeah, there's a lot. We've done like a timeline of like your life and nothing. No one cares questions. early on pre-Bethel but oh, I think maybe we should just you know some people might be interested to know kind of what how did you grow up did you grow up Christian um do you want to talk about that to start with sure okay so I grew up um pastor's kid um in a first generation pastor's kid kind of home like it's like both my parents had just kind of become Christians not that long mm. before they had me my mom became a Christian like late teens and she was quite a wild Christian she was like out partying and then instead of going home that night she was literally going from like parties to church to teach Sunday school as like a 17 year old 18 year old girl um so she was like tiptoeing in Christianity she liked Christianity but she was still figuring out what that looked for her she certainly wouldn't have ticked a lot of boxes for today's evangelical Christians um and then she got more serious as time went on um I met my dad who was our crazy wild alcoholic sailor mm. who got saved because he got healed of a stomach ulcer in a christian meeting he got dragged to and like immediately was like well i guess this is legit <laughs> and so he like went all in and became a pastor um and then i came along and but they never really like were like intense in like forcing christian christianity on me um i had to go to church but like more than anything, I think that was just a child safety thing. You couldn't leave me alone anywhere. I always started fires in the house and like literally I started fires in the house. Um, I was not a child to leave at home alone. Um, I, if, if like home alone had been me, Kevin McAllister would have been dead long before the burglars got there. They'd have got to the house and he'd be dead. Like, because like, I don't <laughs> He's know. He's blown himself up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like he was playing with the firecrackers and blew his arm off and then bled to death or something. That would have been the yeah. plot for Home Alone if it was me. Yeah. Um, so that's why I was at church more than like my parents being like, you have to go to church. They were never very like, um, they were very open about what they believed. They were very clear about what they believed. Mm. Um, and they certainly did the part of teaching me what they believed. Um, and as a kid growing up in a Christian home, I'm sure everyone can, uh, not everyone, but a lot of people listen to this, like, are able to uh, identify with, oh, of course, like, you just kind of accept the, the culture you're in, the world you're in, the parents are like, mm. they're the right people, right? They know mm. everything. Mom and dad know everything. So if they're telling me about God, surely they're right. Mm. Um, and so I just kind of 
was in that ecosystem. I didn't really care about it much, but I just kind of was like, yeah, okay, there's a God and like he does this and he answers prayer and we go to church and that's the way it works. But it was never very relevant to me because it was all old people. Mm. Like, and I know like when you're like 10, 12, 15, everyone is old, right? They were probably like in their forties or something. Um, but some of the churches we were a part of were like legitimately very, very old people. Like it was just like a, a dying church. So what, like, 60s. do you want to say like what denominations they were? Sure. So they were Baptist. Mm-hmm. My dad was a Baptist pastor, but Baptist means a very different thing across the world than it does in America. It doesn't actually. Baptist means a very diverse thing in America. Yeah. But most people, when they hear Baptist, think of a very specific type of Baptist mm-hmm. in America. Mm-hmm. They're thinking of like Southern Baptist, that kind of, and, mm-hmm. it, and they're very rigid you know very black and white very fundamental but baptists actually were kind of like the wild childs of their day they actually the baptist movement became the baptist movement because they felt that churches around them were becoming too fundamental and were placing the bible above god and they were like well it doesn't really matter what the bible says it matters what god says and we Mm. use god to interpret the bible and that's why, actually, globally, a lot of Baptist churches believe quite a lot of different things. Did Baptists come from, like, Catholics? Like, would, did they divert from that, would you say? Or I mean, ultimately, because all mm. Protestants come from Catholics. Yeah. But they, they would have been an emerging movement from um, from the, uh, the Catholic Church became the Protestant Church. And then you have all these different movements start filtering out. Okay. I don't remember where the Baptists came mm. from. Probably, I'd imagine... Maybe not. Could have come from the Anabaptists because that was a very earlier movement where they believed you should you should be baptized as an adult. Yeah. And so a lot of them were like, well, Anabaptists but baptize again. So right. they were like, oh no, like it doesn't matter if you're baptized as a child, you need to get baptized again. Yeah. Which sounds pretty Baptist, right? You were a part yeah. of Baptist church, for yeah, a while, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, so uh, but the, my point in that was my dad was a charismatic Pentecostal Baptist pastor. Mm. My mom was very charismatic, mm-hmm. and so. When I'm saying Baptist, I'm not talking Southern Baptist. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is not your typical Southern Baptist church yeah. in the heartland of Texas yeah. or something. This is a weird kind of quasi-mix for what most Americans mm. would associate with Baptist and charismatic. Of, it's interesting that, like, your parents, having come from these, like, kind of wild lives... Well, I don't know if you would say wild, well, but, yeah. like... <laughs> Based on, by, by default Christian perspective, it were wild. For them to then become... <laughs> to be like converts it's interesting that they weren't like too strict with you because i think mm. quite often we do see that people do come become very black and white and um i don't know quite rigid maybe in their faith at, yeah. in those early days it's interesting because they were very very black and white in their own yeah faith, how they yeah. saw things my dad was so black and white and i know he'll be watching this or listening <laughs> to this at some point um but he was really, really black and white, very rigid. Um, when we had my podcast with my brother, Neil, and, and his wife, uh, Jesse, me and Neil were joking about some of the moments in our upbringing with dads where he was so like, mm. this is the way. And since then, he's, he's kind of like come back and gone, sorry, guys, that's a bit extreme. It's probably not the way, <laughs> you know, like, um, and we've all grown. We all grow and we all change and we all develop, especially as we age, right? And I mean, I, how many people I talk to that are like, I so regret bringing my kids up this way sure. or this. And yeah. I don't even think, like there's need for my dad to regret how he brought us up, you know? So it wasn't even like a bad extreme. It was just, he was passionate about what he believed. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it intrigues me. I'd love to talk mm. to him. Maybe I should have my dad yeah, on the podcast. That'd be really be like, interesting. Why weren't you so like fundamental in yeah. how we had to live our lives? Yeah. Like um, that was just never a, it was never a thing. Like mm. even I joked about it with my podcast with Neil, but when my dad had the sex talk with me, I must be like 15, 16. And like, it was the most amazing, awkward, weird dynamic. But me and my dad never really, as ki- as, as a kids, 
when I was a kid, my dad was an adult at this point. Um, we never like had this deep uh, connection of like strong conversation. Sorry, I can't sneeze. You just sneeze. It's all good. <laughs> no, I can't like choose to sneeze. Go on, come sneeze now. No, no, um, I don't think I can. Uh, but <laughs> so. you know, we never were like you know like heart to heart. And I think a lot of people our generation mm. with their dads, mm-hmm. that's a very common thing. Or you know, a lot of the last generation weren't taught to be emotional mm, to especially connect. Especially in the UK as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very like kind of um, reserved, reserved, shut down yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, my, my dad, one day I was leaving the house, just walking out the back door. And I don't know why he had this conversation because I was going to like hang out with one of my only friends who was definitely males and I was definitely straight, um, which my dad would have known based on the amount of times he'd walked in on me watching things on the computer or whatever. Um, but he just goes, Phil, he's like, you know what sex is, right? He's asking a 15, 16 year old this. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, you know to use a condom, right? And I was like, yeah and he's like do you want to talk about this more and i'm like no uh, and that was the whole conversation it was super cringe i think i died on the way to my friends like yeah. just like dying inside the hallway but that was it that was the that's our entire conversation about sex until mm. maybe like i don't know when i got married or something maybe we talked about it since then or um and so like but i think of that as far as like how a lot of people that i'm working with now and a lot of and, and even how i then ended up influencing people when i was a youth leader and the conversations i had with youth and stuff that we kind of hammered down, okay, here, here's the boundaries, guys. And it wasn't, yeah. you know, to use a condom, right? Dad had, like, basically just gone, look, if you're going to do this, at least do it safely. Which, to be honest with you, was um, was very progressive of yeah. him in a lot of ways. And, 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 and I'm very thankful for yeah. that. Um, it's maybe one less le- layer of shame of the, like, 5,000-story mm. layer uh, shame cake that I have yeah. of sex. Um, but yeah, it didn't come from that component, at least. Um, but yeah, they, they just weren't very fundamental in how they brought us up. And like, you know, you, I remember you've told me before about your mom and how she always encouraged you to kind of think for yourself and kind of come to your own conclusions. Yeah. Yeah, no, she early on um, kind of instilled in me, I should question when people tell me something is a certain way, I should question it. She even told me to do that with her, um, which is... Again, very progressive mm. of her, um, you know, because most of us don't want our kids questioning us. Yeah. Like, not many parents like that dynamic, you know. Um, and I've had arguments with my parents when I question them and they, like, bounce back and they get, like, maybe a bit defensive and I get defensive when people question me. Like, we all do that. Um, so, but to tell a young child, hey, look, people are going to have different opinions in your life and you need to think about it. You need to process it. You need to work that out for yourself and you need to challenge it. Like, mm. um, and... Uh, I've recently just started doing the Enneagram and, and I'm apparently I'm an eight, which is often like the, the challenging one. It's just the one that challenges and okay. um, so stands up and pushes again. So I'm not super into Enneagram. People listen to into the Enneagram <laughs> going, you just butchered that one sentence probably. <laughs> um, but that is very much my nature. Um, yeah. and I think that was instilled in me from like a very young age. I think my mom probably regretted it as well because it probably made me yeah, much harder to too raise. challenging. <laughs> um, I know you regret that at times. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I think by default, I was always questioning Christianity as I grew as well. So yeah. I, on, on one level, I accept, I'm like, oh, this is kind of the world. This is how it works. You know, my parents talk about demons and, oh, cool, there's demons. That's how it works. But on another level, I was always questioning whenever I did see a gap, whenever mm. I did go, that doesn't make much sense, though. Um, and so there were things that just didn't make sense to me. The fact that it was all older people, people my age didn't go to church. Mm. And the people that were my age that went to church were dragged there by their parents. Yeah. Like there was no one my age that was excited to be at church. Mm. Um, and it was only when my dad, when we moved um, to Aberdeen in Scotland when I was about 16. And I was really excited because at 16, I was allowed to not go to church anymore because 
I, they figured I probably wouldn't burn the house down. Idiots. I definitely would have burned the house down still. Um, and uh, I was really excited, but my mom was like, well, why don't you just give this church a go? Because my dad had stepped down from being a pastor and started a new job. And it meant that he could pick any church. Um, because before, obviously, you don't get to pick your church if you're a pastor. Yeah. You just put in a church. Um, and so he picked this church with 100 youth. I mean, the church was only about like 50 or 60 people at the time. You know, like it was, but oh, this right. youth group had so this the youth mass was, yeah, of separate people. to the main yeah, service exactly. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and they were like, why don't you just go along to this? And, and suddenly I was like, whoa, there's a lot of youth here. And they're all like, excited about jesus they're talking mm. about christianity they're, they're saying the things my parents say mm. but you know when it's like your parents say things yeah. You're like yeah okay but that's my parents no one accepts what <laughs> their parents say is like you know like especially when you're a teenager right at that point you're starting to rebel you're starting to push back um and so it just suddenly like became a lot more interesting to me and i actually started to become very fundamental about mm. my faith really um very serious i would go to bible studies multiple times a week i'd be i i, I rapidly became a youth leader very early on um, I was always involved, always engaged, was going to church, got involved in helping in the church. Um, and then actually I then moved churches. Cause I, I think there, part of that was my ego. A part of it, I think is there's got to be this disconnect from your parents' faith to your mm-hmm. own faith. Yeah. And I think that was really important for me. So a part of it was that, but also part of it was I wanted a more serious church. Whoa. <laughs> um, and this church was pretty serious. Um, what kind of church was it that you were at? It was Baptist church, but it was actually an mm. international church. Um, mm. church because Aberdeen's a very like oil uh, was a very international mm. oil uh, kind of culture and so it was very it was actually way less charismatic much more kind of conservative um, they still had charismatics go along but like mm. you wouldn't want to be too open about that you wouldn't certainly wouldn't see people praying for healing things like that um, and so it was a lot more reserved and so even still I was like no I, 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 these people aren't taking the bible as seriously mm-hmm. as I would like they're not like you know all in and so I actually transitioned to another church that was brethren or it was ex-brethren but ex-brethren just meant they didn't want to pay the denomination fees I think do they still have to like you know wear the women still have to wear hats and women still had to wear hats in all services apart from the family service okay so there was one service a day because it was a big church for for UK it was a very big yeah. church about 600 people massive mm. church uh um, at the time and and very wealthy church like very well-to-do church very like posh and fancy um certainly from coming from my background which was very poor mm. i was like whoa i feel like a fish out of like water um but yeah it was very serious so, so yeah women women didn't just have to wear hats women had to sit on one side of the church wow. and men sat on the other side in in one of the services which was the most was, traditional um, service was it like the women weren't allowed to speak as well correct yeah. so in that in that traditional early service it was led by the congregation mm-hmm. so there was a pastor up front and he might give a me- message or something but the congregation so basically someone would stand up and they would say, hymn number 212. And then everyone would turn to 212. And the, the, like the pianist or the organist or whatever they were doing was like frantically just turning, right? Because they were like, you talk about like how many like yeah. worship practices people have. This person just flew. Uh, I guess it's easier if it's just you. You don't have to gel with anyone because yeah. you're not allowed any musical instruments. And it's just an organ because that's what they played in the Bible times. <laughs> I don't know how that works. Um, but yeah, so they, and then they would do that and then they would, someone would get up and just read a, a Bible verse. But it was always men on the men's side. Mm. Women weren't allowed. And I do remember there was one time actually a woman got up because I guess she was visiting. She didn't understand. She was probably like a bit like, what is happening? Um, I don't even know. I mean, she might have even been sitting with the guys. Wow. I, I don't know. I don't remember. I've got a terrible, you know this. I have a yeah. terrible memory for uh, for anything visual mm. and trying to pull out the visual components of this. But I remember this woman got up and it was a big thing and it was like elders meetings and whatever over like some new person that just what didn't do the rules. What did people do? What did people do when she stood up? A gasp. Like, okay. like audibly like, like oh, what do we do? I think, I think maybe her husband 
got up and like just basically said what she said or something and it kind of made it okay or like wow. you know she suggested a him and he suggested it after or something it was it was like a rapid like or mm. maybe like an, a deacon or something got up and said the, the same him or i don't know how it went but it kind of like got it was like everyone was shocked but it was quickly like kind of dealt with you know um and i think that's something that churches do pretty well at is like how do we quickly yeah cover our shame because it's almost a thing of like while everyone's embarrassed for her there's almost this like revealing you should be a little bit ashamed as well here because this isn't like no other culture. All these people in business are yeah. working with women. They probably yeah. have women bosses and yeah. stuff. All these people, when they go home, their wives probably pull the strings in a lot of areas and run mm. certain areas of the life, you know, like that they have, or, you know, maybe they're in charge of finances or maybe they like mostly run like the, the child rearing or you know, there's different things. Maybe they are the one that works and the husband says, oh, probably not at the Brethren mm. Church. <laughs> um, but, you know, that was that dynamic was on display and yet suddenly for it to come into this place, it kind of reveals... There's something not quite right with what we're doing here. I think mm. on some level we we engage mm. with that today. It's yeah. hard not to. Yeah. Um, and we don't like that. We want to push that away quickly mm-hmm. rather than come to terms with the way we see scripture, the way we see the Bible, the way we see church. Um, yeah, it was a big deal. The family service was big because like they had like drums eventually. Initially Ooh. it was big because they had a guitar <laughs> as well as the organist. So, you know, it was, it was like yeah. they did not deal with change well. But yeah. I liked it because they loved the Bible. They taught the Bible really well. They really dove into it. They did exposition. Um, I became um, uh, really close to the teaching pastor who like kind of took me under his wing and he gave me books to read. He would teach me how to read the Bible. Like he would teach me about, um, uh, you know, doing exegesis and, mm. and, and uh, exegetical work. Like that was really big for me because... I was serious about Christianity yeah. and serious about Christianity meant you got serious about the Bible. Um, so yeah. what was your, like, what did, what did you think of all the less progress, you know, the, the kind of the, the, the women being treated differently, all that kind of stuff that maybe the, the, or using an organ instead of other instruments. Did you take issue with that at all? Or did you think, Oh, well that's biblical or. It's really hard. I, I'm trying to remember. And I think a lot of it was just kind of like this, like world of cognitive dissonance. Mm. Um, like, I don't think I overly cared. So there was a thing of me dismissing it as going, oh, well, that's the, like, that's the really traditional service. Mm. But there are ways to read the Bible where women can speak. There are ways to read the Bible where we can have, like, where we can have not an organ. Like, I don't even <laughs> understand the organ bit. Like, well, how does that work as the only instrument? Like, so, so for me, I was like, well, obviously, this other service we're running is biblical. It's fine. Okay. But I didn't, I don't think I looked at it and went, this is some really backward shit. This is like, this is harmful. This is really not doing um, a service to a lot of people. This is really harming women's self-worth and value mm-hmm. or whatever. You know, I mean, there's yeah. lots of people suffered, not just women, yeah. but, you know, that's an obvious example in that early service. Um because there is a thing of like, you're unclean, go sit on the other side. Mm. The men sit on one side, you sit on another side mm-hmm. because you are a distraction. You are, well, I don't even remember the reasons yeah. for that, but like, you know, you, it's like, you know, you might distract them with your beautiful curly hair or maybe a <laughs> a, a, a wrist will show <laughs> under your like, who knows? Yeah. Um, but that's, that's harmful stuff. Yeah. But th- that was not on my level. In the same way that if I'm honest at that time, I would have been sexist. I would have been racist. Yeah. I would have been a whole host of different things. Not that I would have, I would have fought that. If you'd said you're sexist, I would, no, 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 sure. I, I love women. I think women should be able to work and should do this. And yeah. so it was not explicit, but I 100% had bought into the systems of racism 
sexism, things like that. And I think it's the same thing there where I couldn't see the systemic implicit damage. Mm. Um, and so I would never have overly... And maybe it didn't affect you as well, so you were and less exactly, aware of it. I was a white, cis, mm-hmm. het, male. Mm-hmm. You know, I was running my own business at this point. Like... I, I, I was very privileged yeah. Um, and everyone loved me and, you know, it was great. And I was a leader in the youth group at this place. And so I, I really didn't suffer any, mm. um, in any way, shape or mm-hmm. form really in, in this kind of uh, system. Mm-hmm. And so there was very little reason to ask questions, but I did ask questions at that church a lot, yeah. like, because as much as I loved how they did the Bible, as much as they loved other things, I'd grown up in a charismatic home and I'd seen charismatic stuff. I'd seen people being healed. I'd seen miraculous answers to prayer. I'd, I'd heard my mom give prophecies and it comes true. Mm. And so I was asking questions about that because that's in your Bible, right? If you're going to take the Bible seriously, it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the whole thing of like, well, it, it stopped when the Bible came. And I was like, that's a weak argument. Like it's a really, any way you cut it. And, that, and this was just a really serious fundamental Bible reader. I was still going, that's pretty weak. That's not a good argument. Yeah, so I um, guess at this point you'd already kind of seen like there's different different interpretations and mm. like so I guess th- would you say that um you kind of just switch from oh I have one interpretation to now I've changed it or to more like an openness of like oh I'm seeing that maybe it's not black and white and No, it was still black and white. They're still black and white. 100%. They okay. were just wrong and I was right. Okay. And if I just would continue to pursue, I would find the right. Yeah. Okay. And so even right, so this is funny, but um around uh, the time of me getting a bit frustrated with this, um I chose to leave the church. I spoke to this pastor and I was like, look, I just don't think I'm growing anymore here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we still stay close and he still gave me books to read and, and asked me for my, my uh, thoughts on books and would talk to me about it and help me. And he was very much discipling me in a lot of ways um, that uh, for me at the time were really positive and helpful. You know, I can't look on that time and think of it being in any way toxic, which is mm. a great thing. I'm sure many people could look at it and critique it and find some mm. toxic components because that's always going to come in at some point um, in any relationship. Um, but I, yeah, so I chose to leave the church and I actually had another friend at the church and we, we chose to leave together and we were like, we'll go and try out other churches. But our big thing was we want them to be serious about the Bible, but we really want them to be somewhat open to charismatic stuff. And so okay. we, we basically wrote down all the churches that we'd heard of that in the, in the city that were charismatic. We, you're going to love this. We made a spreadsheet. <sighs> With, of course you did. I think it was like 10 columns <laughs> and it was like worship, prayer, Bible, uh, charism- <laughs> oh like gosh. healing, you know, like, and it was just all these different things, like people, like relationships, you know, like it was all these different things. Um, the pastor, because um, you rate the pastor out of 10. We rated them all out of 10 and it would have an overall score. Um, and it was like, it was amazing. I wish I could find, I tried to find this actually recently because yeah. it, it was in a Google spreadsheet. So it might be somewhere if I look back far enough. So did, was this from visiting? And then you, and then so you we'd like go and visit it? these churches okay, yeah. and we'd, we'd yeah. at the end, we'd go for lunch and we'd score them. We'd like go, all right, let's fill in the spreadsheet. Did what you give think? them like some feedback? Of like, so this is... Uh... We didn't, we didn't. <laughs> but I was intense. So this gives you an idea how intense I was. Yeah. We went to this church and... On that day, visiting the church, I'd say, I want to meet you this week to the pastor. Mm. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm looking for a new church. I'm serious. I'm not hanging around. I'm not messing around. But I want to talk to you. I've got questions for you. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go to a church for six months and realize, yeah. excuse me, that you're not what I'm looking for. Yeah. And so then I'd meet with these pastors. And it's kind of funny. They must have been quite excited. And you're excited. what, like 17 or something? No, this would have been about 20, I think, okay. at this point. So okay. I'm about 20, maybe okay. even 21. 
They probably loved it. They would have loved it, right? How excited would most pastors be if Mm -hmm. a passionate 21-year-old that knows the Bible, that's a youth leader, Mm -hmm. um, says, I'm coming to your church. I want to know what it's about. And then they start going, what do you believe about this? What do you Mm. believe about that? Is there room for me to grow here? Will Mm. I be able to lead in Mm -hmm. some capacity? What's What's your progression? Like, What's your model of leadership? Like, really, like intense yeah, yeah. but this is why i laugh when people are like oh you obviously weren't ever a christian i'm like gosh i've been like every type of christian yeah. like and and all of them intense um and so yeah so but over time we started to try different churches and in that time i kind of settled for one we, we kind of basically made a compromise because it wasn't anything that really ticked all our boxes but we were like what? There wasn't this is a perfect church. this is an okay church and for me at this point i'd realized what the perfect church was uh-huh bethel, bethel <laughs> right because bethel were charismatic and they did take the bible seriously um at least from afar, it seemed that they did. Um, but as far as my tick boxes and all I was looking for, I was like, yeah, this is a this is a great church. And it was a great church. And so I was feeding off of their material and I was really being encouraged. I was growing a lot. It was it was changing me in amazing ways. And I saw amazing miracles in my life. Like I, mm. I really saw some incredible things that I don't have a natural answer for. To this day, I'm like, I don't know. I don't, really don't know. Um, I was healed of a very severe illness that I had my whole life. I grew up with Crohn's disease, which is a very serious illness. Like people mm. have huge chunks of their insides taken out and mm. replaced with bags. You know what I mean? Like it's very serious. So was that before you went to Bethel that you had? That was from about, well, I'd had issues from about the age of 12 and they only really diagnosed it about 16. No, I mean the healing. Um, and the healing was probably about 23. And between those ages... I probably spent two, three, four hours on the floor in the fetal position Mm -hmm. in pain every day Mm -hmm. on average. Some Mm -hmm. days much more, some days a bit less. But I was in severe pain for like over a decade. But that was, Uh, it was post-Bethel that you had the healing? It was pre-Bethel. Pre-Bethel. It was was a couple, uh, about a month before I went to Bethel, I went to this big Florida revival called Lakeland's Revival. Lakeland Revival? I think it was Lakeland Revival. It was like Todd Bentley. He was this like crazy biker mm-hmm. who, um, and there's all sorts of twists and turns. He ended up having an affair with his assistant and like left his wife. And so everyone was like, oh, it wasn't really real. And I'm like, well, whatever it was, I went there <clears throat> ill and I've not been ill since. And I, you know, I've, I've occasionally had like a flare up where I don't feel so great or whatever, but I went from feeling chronically ill every day of my life to going, oh, I, I'm fine and I can eat whatever I want and I can do whatever I want. Yeah, that's some crazy Crohn's stuff. isn't something that people just like recover from. It's Th- like there a isn't lifelong a recovery condition, plan. isn't yeah. it? And, and doctors say that to me, like it's still on my records, and they're like, "Oh, so you have Crohn's disease?" And I'm like, "Yeah," and I, I, I don't know what to say to them. <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, I'm just like, "Oh, it's 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 just under control. Like it just doesn't bother me anymore." And they're like, oh, "Okay, so you got a very specific diet?" I'm like, "Mostly just meat and junk <laughs> food." But uh, yeah, um, so yeah, and maybe it is it's still um, potentially there. You maybe still, I mean, you My don't eat not, vegetables still. Fiber is a really you're supposedly... supposed to avoid fiber if you've got mm. Crohn's, and I think that is mm-hmm. a, a big component. It's, even if it's psychological, it's a hangover of like, don't touch that stuff; it'll make you ill. Um, which became really fun when I was traveling all the time. But anyway, we're we're we're, yeah. we're uh, digressing. We're what are we talking about? Okay, so then, so then I went to Bethel. Though. So Bethel was intense. now. Hang on, hang on. Okay, right. I remember a while, like probably when we first met. You told me about this experience you had, where maybe you made it up. I don't know. No, <laughs> no. You told me about like um, mm-hmm. I think it was before you went to Bethel. Maybe you did. You say you read um, Bill Johnson's book. Yeah. And then that was like a huge moment for yeah. you. 
Yeah, so absolutely. So I read Bill Johnson's um, When Heaven Invades Earth. Yeah. Um, which if you're, I'm assuming most people listen to this or not, but if you're a, um evangelical, fundamental, and you're interested in charismatic Christianity, it will be your jam. Like, it's amazing. It's very mm-hmm. inspirational. People being healed of amazing things. And I'm reading this and I'm going, this is it. Like, this is the stuff. Like, my, my parents have tasted of this over the years. I've seen some of this occasionally in some charismatic meetings, but I have never come across, uh, like, an environment that he's talking about where it's just like normal. Everyone's seeing healing constantly. And I was like, I've got to go to Bethel. What's funny is I didn't pick up from the book, which is quite clear in the book, but I didn't obviously pick up that they had like a school of ministry that you could join and do. And I was like, I just want, I need to go to Bethel. I didn't know what to do. And eventually I, I, after Googling a bunch, I was like, Oh, they've got a school. And so my my mom was like, are you an idiot? Like it says they have a school like multiple times. (laughs) And then I was like, I think I thought that was like small children, like kids. Uh, Cause we don't really call like, um, you know, things of school, like we wouldn't call like um, uh, something for yeah, adults a school like a or something, or yeah. wouldn't you? Um, yeah. So in the UK, that was a weird language. So for yeah. me, I was like, when he was talking about people from the school healing, it's probably why it was even <laughs> more amazing. Like I'm about, yeah. actually a five-year-old going, sir, can I heal you? I feel I feel like you've got a carcinoma. Um, you know, I'm like, wow, that's a smart five-year-old. Um, but uh, so I, I was just like, this is amazing stuff. It's, it's, it's just, it blew my mind. And and I felt God tell me, I want you to quit your job. So I ran my own business at this time. And so I, I quit. I gave my shares back to my partners, walked away with nothing. Um, and they they did really well out of that long term, yeah. you know, like, and not as a thing of like, I resent that or, or anything. Yeah. But like the point being like, I could have stayed in that job and done well. Like I could have been... I mean, they sold the business, they made a lot of money, they um, became IT directors at a big company, you know, and they're now doing all sorts of amazing stuff. Like, I could have had a different career path. Mm -hmm. And yet there was something about me going, no, I don't want to be doing this. I I need to do this Bethel thing. I need Mm. to be serious about this. Mm -hmm. And and I felt I should quit my job. I felt I shouldn't work. So I didn't work for a year as I was preparing to go to Bethel. I got accepted. You had to have 10 grand in the bank to go to Bethel. Wow. The visa requirements were oh, okay. they wouldn't let you have a, a visa to America because they're saying you're coming to America for a year and you're going to live here for a year, yeah. but the requirements are, are you're not allowed to work. You, yeah. We're yeah. not letting you in. I got in with like nothing. I had zero in the bank. Wow. And they were like, they and I was panicking at the visa, like at the embassy and they just like stamped me in, went through, it still took like four hours, but I stamped, yeah. I got through, yeah. ended up at Bethel with no money at all. <laughs> Um, and, and all of this was just consistently like very miraculous things. I would, I'd have a bill for 50 bucks come in the post and then I'd have like my friend that day go, Hey, here's 50 bucks. Like, you know, like, I just feel like I should give you that. And you're like, Oh, cool. And that stuff happened all the way up leading to Bethel happened all the way through Bethel constantly. Very, what, what many Christians would call a miraculous provision. I don't know what I call it today. I'm still considering it quite, uh, amazing. Um, because it wasn't just things like even going to Lakeland, the place I got healed. I really wanted to go, but I had no money and I'm going to Bethel spending money on a flight to Florida from the UK in summer. That's an expensive flight. And so I said, there's no way I'm going to do that. And then someone, a friend of mine was like, oh, I found a chartered flight that, um, has spare seats and they're selling them cheap for 283 pounds and 16 pence. I still remember the amount. Um, because I was like, well, that's still 208, you know, that's still much more than what I have. Um, I got home and I had a, a email from a family friend I hadn't talked to since I was eight. Um, and he said, hey, I, I've got this amount I need to give you. I've been watching the God channel. I want to send you money. And he sent me the money and it was, it was just the right amount for yeah. this flight. And you're like, I don't know what I do with that stuff. Like, yeah. Fast forwarding to today, I'm yeah. like, that's mind blowing to me. What is that? Is there some quantum mechanics? Is it is it the spiritual dynamic? Is there a God kind of pulling strings and going, hey, give that person that much and this, that much? I don't know, but I've, I've got this kind of like consistency of these amazing things happening 
um, that at the time was just constantly a pat on the back. You're on the right path. You're doing the right thing. You should be going to Bethel. Mm. This is the right way to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. That's how I was constantly interpreting these things. Um, But yeah, that was kind of where I was at. And so on some levels, I was constantly evolving in my faith. I was constantly changing. My mom having me question and, and ask these questions, like that was pushing me and spurring me on to change and evolve. But in no way, shape or form by um, by an academic dis- def- definition of deconstruction was I deconstructing because that yeah. requires you to change core values and become less certain of the values mm. you now hold. And there was certainly, there was only more and more certainty as I progressed. Like I became more fundamental, okay. more black and white, you know, because I so finally like found So you were like figuring answers. it out. You're like, oh, I have a question here. Okay, this is the answer. Let's put that into the jigsaw kind of thing. Exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. It's like a you know someone studying maths you know like yeah. the the further along that path you go right once you get to like theoretical math or whatever they're going to be pretty black and white about five mm. plus five is ten yeah. right you might be questioning five plus five is ten when you're like four but by the time you're doing like PhD maths you're like no no five well actually I don't know I've heard that actually that's not how maths works and sometimes there is a question because it's a whole thing of like two plus two isn't four or I don't know so maybe theoretical maths is too far it's, it's yeah. too far you go yeah. but as you go on you're like yeah. no we we got this you know yeah um, and so. For me, it was just, I was becoming more and more certain because I was figuring this out and I was getting answers. I was, mm. you know, I was praying to God and I was getting an answer. Mm-hmm. I was uh, reading the Bible and I was figuring it out. Um, mm. And so it was very black and white by the time I approached Bethel. By the time I got there, okay. really black and white, very passionate. Um, yeah. Okay. How are we doing on time? Go for a while? I don't know. Do you want to take a break? No, I'm, I'm okay. I just want to, oh, that's uh, way less time than I thought it was. That's great. Okay. <laughs> cool. I thought we'd be going for like an hour. It's like 30 minutes. Yeah. Cool. Because you've been talking so much. <laughs> I know. Sorry. You should talk more. No, but, like, obviously, it's my life. This is your so. journey. So, um, yeah. yeah. Okay. I would say, guys, I let Tilly talk a lot more, but the truth is I probably don't no, a lot of time. No, it really doesn't. I'm a monologue. <laughs> um, no, you do talk a lot. I have to like try and button. Um, okay. So I guess we should talk about Bethel then. Like, yeah. you know, once you got there, um, like, where do we even start? Like, um would you say you just continued this thing of like asking questions, filling in the blanks? Like for the most part, um, I was still, I was just so fundamental, so insanely on it. You know, I was, I was the most passionate I could ever be about anything. I just, that was it. Mm. If I'm here, I gave up a, a, a business for this. I gave up my life. I gave up, you know, my freedoms. I mean, this is a lot of your personality anyway. Like very black and for white. anyone who knows Phil, he's very extreme. Like he will, Everything you do, we do with such energy, such yeah. like. Zip, I'll break a door zip, handle yeah. opening the door. Yeah, you know? I mean, I'm like I, I will do everything at 110 percent so, if I can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, and that is the way I approach this. Yeah, um, you know, like even things like people that were at Bethel, like it was like 20 hours a week, so it was like um, four days a week. You had five hours of lessons, teaching, tutorials, doing outreach on the streets, or whatever. It's 20 hours a week. I just come from running a business, which was probably a 70, 80 hour a week endeavor. I mean, like if, if anyone's started their own business and is running it, like it's a big deal. So I'm like, this is, this is like an amateur hour as far yeah. as like the requirements of me. And then they were like, oh, well, we, need, we require you to read one book a, a month as well and write a book report. And I'm like, one book a month? Yeah. I'm like, I just took a year off. And these off are and probably pretty myself. straightforward books, right? They were Bethel books. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, they were um, <laughs> mostly published by Density, uh, uh, Density, um oh what's it called publishing 
uh, Destiny publishing. Right. But it was a common joke because they frequently even typoed their own name. Like it was, it was, It's not the greatest publishing. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm sorry if anyone listens to this and they work there. Um, but <laughs> we actually, um, at one point, we had a, a fun like school um, football game. I think it was like the, the first years against the second years. And they, they thought it'd be funny to make up strips. And they made up strips and they actually got it like sponsored by. And then they typoed like Destiny nice. Image. Love Destiny that. Image, that was what it was called. Sorry. Well, I'm even further throwing people under the bus if that's where you were. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, these were like very simple, basic, you know, big writing, easy words. Lots of you know, stories, There was right? no academic. This, the, the teaching pastor that I'd been under at the Brethren Church, he was giving me like, you know, books that were like 50% footnotes. Yeah. You know, he yeah. was getting me to study system, uh, systematic theology. Suddenly I'm reading like, you know, like, oh, let me tell you a story. And it's a bit like if a bird does this, it's a bit like that. And that's beautiful. I mean, I, I, sign me out, I'll go read Rumi, you know, or poetry. Yeah. Or, you know, like, there's no, mm-hmm. that's not to say anything dismissive. But what I'm saying is it didn't take a month, you yeah. know, when I had only 20 hours to fill. Yeah. So I was insane. I, I, made, a, I made myself um, a schedule. Of course. So my schedule was I got up in the morning and I worked from 7 till 12. 12 is when the school started. You can tell that the school was run by a bunch of like, you know, 20 somethings. Mm. Um, school started from four and ran uh, 12 and ran to five. Um, so, but from seven to, actually I got up at six and I prayed in tongues, walking around the block around and around and around for an hour. Yeah. Um, and if it was, if it was too cold, which it did get, even though it's California, it did get a bit cold in, in the winter. I would, um, I had a sliding closet and I took praying in the closet really seriously. And so I Literally, got in the closet and yeah. slid it shut. And I would just sit in the dark and just pray in tongues, like mm. really intensely. Um, so I did that for an hour. And then from 7 to 12, I studied the Bible. I read books. And I would read a dozen books a month. And I was trying to... And this is where my um, challenging component is. This is where my um, my kind of maybe my prod towards deconstruction comes in is... I, I realized all the books they had recommended us were books of people that taught at the school. Yeah. Whether they were resident to the school, like they yeah. were the teachers that ran the school, or maybe they were a guest speaker that came every year or whatever. But I'm like, they're all the same people. I'm going to mm. hear this stuff in the school. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading their books. I'm like, and, and I love that. It was great. I'm like, cool. I can't wait to read a book by that person. But I'm like, I'm not really going to learn as much as I could if I was reading books by different views and different authors and different perspectives and so the first week i read i had to reread the first month i had to reread um bill johnson's mm-hmm. when heaven invades earth and i read god is the gospel by john piper i'd mm-hmm. read it before but i was like i want to reread that because totally different right they're basically like... the same john piper and, and bill johnson <laughs> i'm sure they'd be best friends um and i read brian mclaren a new type wow. of christianity again Very these three people Bethel, yeah. will never be found yeah. in the same room <laughs> yeah like it just wouldn't ever happen like they would never you know, they just, they, they do not have space for each other particularly. Maybe they would be gracious towards one another. I'm sure all three are very nice people. Uh, and I know that. Uh, uh, but they would not click theologically, right? And so very, very different positions. And that's how I kind of took my education I was, I was going. And so the whole time I'm going through Bethel, I'm challenged by certain perspectives, specifically the more fundamental conservative positions, the Calvinist positions, I'd kind of done that. Mm. I was kind of coming out of that into this charismatic movement. And I, mm. I was kind of like, oh, I've done the kind of like, the Bible is to be read so black and white, like, and 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 kind of almost very childish or uh, childish. I don't mean it to sound so offensive, but just without too much 
um, thought about context and 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 the the the, the surrounding, yeah. but just very much like what well, says that, so it must mean that without going, well, what what were those people like, and you know, like looking at a bit of context. Mm. Um, and that's like, yeah, that's more more of like the kind of oh my gosh, I'm getting mixed up. Like that's more like where you'd come from, isn't it? Yeah. Like maybe the brethren would exactly. be more like okay, we need to read it in context, whereas the charismatics would be more like oh, let's just open the Bible up randomly and that's God's message right. for me today. Which really annoyed me because yeah. of my background yeah. with like kind of the brethren and taking the Bible seriously. Mm. I got, we, do you know how much time we had for Bible study in the 20 hours? One hour a week. Wow. And that was it. And you know what? It was the one hour a week that room was empty. Really? People just didn't go to the lesson. Wow. They just didn't care. So yeah. oh, what's the point? And I was like, I was like, this is the main thing. Mm. How can we do all this other stuff if we can't then point mm -hmm. to the Bible and invalidate it? Yeah. Um, which, which goes to show, right? I mean, I couldn't even have an experience if it wasn't allowed in the yeah. Bible. I, even if my experience happened, I'd be like, okay, so how do I back this up? You don't have to back up if you just got healed, mm. right? I mean, people that just got healed don't need a Bible verse generally, mm -hmm. right? They just go, cool, I just got healed. Me, I'm like, where's the Bible verse? <laughs> so um, that was just my, my kind of mentality. But these two worlds were so clashing. Mm. And then I'm reading this third perspective. That I was really trying to read a lot from the progressive church and and mm. um and the emerging church it was much more known as the emerging church yeah. at that point um and that was really like Brian McLaren, right? yeah i yeah. remember reading shane claiborne um mm. a new, what, what was his one called irresistible revolution i think it was called and it was a brilliant book and they i think they moved to a city i can't remember what city it was maybe like seattle or vancouver it was kind of cool like kind of um city they moved into um and uh they bought up a bunch of property. They all moved there and then they just like loved their neighborhood. They they started going door to door mm. and saying, hey, are you using your garden? If not, we could plant vegetables and we'd look after it and then you could just have some free food and we could teach you how to look after this. And they would go, oh, and by the way, we've got a teacher that lives at this house and every day after school, your kids can go there and she'll tutor them and help them in any areas mm. they're struggling. And I was reading this and I'm like, God, this sounds amazing. I'd love to do mm. that. I would love that. Mm. Right? You know me, I would love mm -hmm. that. I'd be introverted, so I'd hide most <laughs> of the time. But when I came out, I'd be really engaged mm. with this. Um, and I was reading that and I'm like, God, like, I'm like, how do we have a spare bedroom in our house? Yeah. When like people are like giving up everything and like, you know, living in these conditions so that a homeless person could be cared for. Mm. So that, you know what? And of course, there's this whole dynamic of, of those complexities to that. But I remember having a talk with one of the senior pastors mm. and going, like, how is it a Christian ethic to have a spare bedroom when there's a single homeless person in the town? Yeah. Like, and I'm not, I'm not saying you have to have that homeless yeah. person live with you, but I'm like, it, do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's that, like, yeah. we have so much excess and yet there's yeah. so much lack. And, yeah. and so I was starting to very much think about these kind of um, progressions. People that are aware of spiral dynamics, I've got a series on spiral dynamics, I talk about it all the time on the podcast. I know you're aware of spiral dynamics. Mm -hmm. You're probably, if you're, if you're aware of that, you're hearing this journey that I'm yeah. going on from blue to orange and now into green. I'm starting to look at the world a little bit beyond mm. just myself. Um, and what's funny is, sorry, you. No, I was just, I was just thinking, like, it's just interesting, isn't it? How like the charismatic church can be very, it can be very outward looking in a lot of ways of like, right, we want to go and do healing, we want to go and prophesy, we want to go and do yeah. treasure hunting or whatever. But it's so focused on the spiritual, isn't it? And yeah. so you can be. And I remember thinking that myself when I was in a similar kind of churches, like, um, it's like, but this person's homeless. Like, okay, we can pray for him, but like, are we not going to give him some food as well? And right. it's so interesting, isn't it? That kind of perception. Yeah. It's weird because the charismatic church elevates the spiritual world mm. so much mm. that it almost, 
you almost managed to create this like cognitive mm-hmm. dissonance that actually we just got this person um, uh, prophetic words mm-hmm. and they're closer to being saved. That's much more important than yeah. a sandwich and a pair of socks. And you know what? It's not even just the charismatic world. Like I think back to when I was in a much more evangelical church um, and then it, was, it wasn't it was about prophecy and healing. It was about what well, they need to get saved. Yeah. But they need to say a prayer. They need to get saved. And then that's it. They're great. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it was like, once you've done that, they're like, okay, well, you just, why aren't you evangelizing? Like, you've got another problem. What? Like, and it, so it's not just the charismatics either. Yeah. Like, no, it's, it is. It's, it's, I think we all do it. And the thing is, though, if you stop and you think about it, and almost all of us can, because mm-hmm. we came from that, most mm-hmm. of us, very few people deconstructing as a starting point. Um, you know, so most of us are coming from some form of Christianity where that was the case. If you can try and enter into that mindset, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Duh. I go to hell. I, hell. I'll starve to death if it means I go yeah, to heaven right. rather than eating and go to hell. Like yeah. you know what I mean? Like on a very, very um uh, tangible, real sense, mm-hmm. when you're that way um programmed, mm-hmm. of course it's more important I get this homeless yeah. person to go to heaven for eternity yeah. than make sure he has one more comfortable night in a hotel yeah. or get some some food tonight. Um of course, there's a good argument for can we do both? And I will say, Bethel did a lot yeah, in their community say, yeah. and a lot of the churches yeah. that both of us have been a part of do a lot yeah. in their community. But a huge amount of churches are very, I mean, the UK is a great example. The UK has had a huge surge in food bank demands through COVID. But even before then, the food banks were run by church, financed mm-hmm. by church. And they know this. If you mm-hmm. took the church out of the equation, the government would go, holy crap, we can't run food banks. Yeah. Um, and so... The church is doing a huge yeah, amount of good stuff. Absolutely. It, and so none of this is black and white church bad, no. this good. But it was for me as I was moving on. So yeah. as I'm moving into Bethel, I look back at the brethren and go, oh, they're just wrong. And mm. then I look back upon my upbringing and my parents' baptism. I'm like, oh, they're not, they're not right. They're mm. wrong. And, and so there was a very black and white progression. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so even as I'm starting to look at the progressive church and some of those things, I'm going, they're right. Yeah. I'm wrong. Yeah. And I and I did I got really into the grace movement as well, mm. which is very fundamental, very black and white. You know, people um like Joseph Prince, John Crowder, um a lot of a lot of different names fall into that bracket and there's a there's a spectrum within that. But it's very fundamental it's very Bible. Mm. And it's very like, ooh, the Bible says it's not about legalism, it's about grace. It's you know, it's it's all about grace, 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 grace. Which is a beautiful message at its core, but it's very fundamental and black and white and quite legalistic in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. right because it has no time for legalism and it has no tolerance for legalism Mm. so there's still this us and them there's still this very black and white context yeah um and the same with progressives still have a very big us and them yeah right you know you just have to look at very strong left-leaning people and say what do you think of trump and trump supporters right wow there's suddenly a very us and them from a group that wants to be very inclusive yeah um and so we all do this on some level at times um but i was starting to do this i was starting to see this more and more and i think it was easier for me to move into kind of a lot of the progressive Christianity stuff because that was a lot more normative in the UK. Mm. I think the UK church, generally speaking, is a lot more socially justice orientated and largely is a lot more left-leaning because the UK historically has been a much more politically left-leaning country. Like our right-wing politics is still probably quite central for America. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, And so when I went to America, I was struck by like a church that was, I was there for both of the 2008 and 2012 elections where Obama won both. But in both, my church were passionately against Obama. And I was like, wow, like on paper, I'm I'm looking at his speeches and I'm like, Obama is a way more 
reasonable, well-spoken. He seems much more mm. legit. He seems like he's putting forth a lot more Christian principles. And yet my church was very much like, oh, but it's abortion, about abortion. Homosexuality. It's about homosexuality. Yeah. And the truth is, I was like, you're right. Yeah, you're right. We, I guess the, the Christian vote is Romney. It is, mm. um, I'm trying to remember the other guy that ran against him during that period, McCain. Um, and so I, 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 I got quite brainwashed into that as well. Yeah. So even coming from the, um, the UK, I came to America, I'm like, whoa, you all have guns. Like, I thought people with guns are crazy because we don't really have guns in the UK. Um, and then I'm starting to go, well, actually, there's, there's a bit more nuances. So what's interesting is it, in some ways, when I went, when I did that switch, I got very fundamental and I actually bought into a lot of where Bethel were mm -hmm. at. Um, so things like abortion, homosexuality, things mm -hmm. that I was like, oh, gosh, yeah, really important. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as important a conversation in America, in the UK, yeah. mostly because those two battles had been lost politically in the UK. Mm -hmm. By then, that was over. That wasn't mm -hmm. a conversation. And Christians weren't going to overturn those laws at any time. I mean, don't get us wrong, though. Like, Christians they still are, are, Christians think still... it's wrong. Yeah, on the yeah, whole. yeah. Um, but they're just not making those huge points. Yeah. They're not speaking from the front going, hey, vote for this politic yeah. politician who might overturn it. Or, um, yeah. So in some ways, that was quite fundamental. But in other ways, what it did was it actually allowed me to see nuance. So things like the gun uh, topic. Mm -hmm. I, I came from the UK where I was like, God, Americans are not jobs running around shooting their guns in the air going, yeehaw, right? I mean, obviously, that's not very true. It's true of some Americans. Um, but it's not true. You get there and you realize, oh, gosh, so you want a gun because you actually don't even need it. And you don't even believe you're owning a gun for protection. You're owning a gun out of principle because of this concept of the freedom to bear arms. And that's a really important principle. And I'm like... I actually understand that principle and I like that principle. I just wouldn't own a gun still. But like, yeah, no, that's an important principle. And, and I get that kind of context. Or you're worried that, you know, your government rise up against you. Now, of course, your government could kill you all in a room with a like a mosquito that's like a drone that can mm. poison you. Or I don't know, like, I mean, there's all sorts of things. They, they made drones that can literally fly into you. They're like basically just a bullet that can go in a room. It's got a camera and it can fly into you and kill you. Nice. Thanks, I know babe. you're going to have good <laughs> dreams now. Um, likes to freak me out but the point is the point is <laughs> yeah having a gun isn't going to save you from the government if the government wants to do yeah. these terrible things you know like um a lot of people in the middle east have guns they're not doing so well yeah. against the american yeah. government you know um and so to me i was like these are kind of nonsense scoring so i, I started to see like this kind of like this there's pros there's cons but i understand mm. the context behind it i understand the heart i get to know these people that i'm like oh i would have written someone off that was going you must have guns and i'm like ah, nut job as it is someone in the uk when i get to the us and i live with these people and i'm talking to them I'm like these are not nut jobs these are some of the smartest people i know and yet they hold a radical right position politically mm. and i would be more left-leaning probably more central left at the time um and i'm going oh this isn't about smart or, or stupid you know this isn't about are, are they educated or not that's not what it's about and of course there's data points where some of these things shift a bit more one way or another in, in certain um topics but on the whole this wasn't just like oh uneducated people think they have mm. to have guns oh people that didn't uh there aren't very smart they 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 vote for um pro-choice yeah. you know that 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 was not true at all and so suddenly i had to start engaging with like there's more nuance to these topics mm. and i think being at Bethel, that's where I started to start seeing the world a lot more gray and realizing, wow, maybe it isn't either or. Maybe I'm not going to land on the perfect answer every time. And maybe sometimes the right answer right now will become the wrong answer later. And so you look at something and you go, certain things aren't going to change overnight. You know, they just aren't. Um, so 
they weren't going to go from abolishing slavery in America to having the first black president in America mm. in two years, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that it's a good thing it took so bloody no. long between those two <laughs> things. Obviously, it's a terrible thing. But I am saying it's probably quite natural that mm. these things took time. Um, it's it's heartbreaking. It's horrible. I mean, the, the, the abuses, even like when they like overturn slavery and then what are they doing? They're, they're basically introducing a law where it's illegal to be black because you're not allowed to yeah. be unemployed or we'll put you in prison it's like well no one's employing black people so they just start carting them off to prison and then they have them working in prisons for free and they're basically slaves again you know mm. so i'm not saying things were done right mm. but what i'm saying is you wouldn't have been able to convince a single person to vote to overturn slavery if it had meant that the president would be black tomorrow yeah. so the point is that these things sometimes have to take time they have mm. to happen over a period of time and so i'm looking at these things going gosh sometimes the right thing right now is actually the wrong thing long term but it's the right thing right now if i'm gonna um convince um an extremist hard uh, right person as a slightly left-leaning uk person i'm gonna have to figure out is there somewhere in the middle that i can start to bring them to yeah. that they might accept that because they're not going to accept what yeah. we have in the uk they don't like our culture. They think we're communists, right? <laughs> because we're too socialist. We're a very capitalistic country in the UK. But um, we're this blend of like post-rational um, socialism and, and capitalism. Um, but they see any type of socialism, post-rational or pre-rational, as, as communism. It really is mm-hmm. the way that a lot of um, mm-hmm. hard-right Americans would see that. And so I'm like, okay, how do you even have that conversation? Um, and so these are the kind of things that I'm starting to go... There's this gray world between these black and whites. And even I think even still, I might have thought, well, obviously over here, that's where we're trying to get people. We're trying to get people right. to go there. But I was starting to realize that actually we can entertain the gray. Maybe we can take baby steps along the way. And so it's still very fundamental in one sense, but I was being kind of softened up mm. in another sense. Mm. Do you think in your faith you still had like some absolutes? Oh, loads of absolutes. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah absolutely. I, I was very black and white. At this point, towards the end of Bethel, I started to travel and I started to mm. speak. Um, I'd been blogging. I'd been putting stuff on social media and people had started to ask me to come to churches and do conferences. And I was helping at Bethel. I volunteered for two years at Bethel with their, um, with they had a network called Global Legacy. It was mm-hmm. an amazing thing that helped tens of thousands of churches kind of um, see what Bethel were doing well and try and um, apply that to their churches, their communities. Um and uh, and so I, I helped out with that for a couple of years. And and because of that, I was doing some traveling and speaking in Bethel-affiliated churches. But then I was also doing this stuff of like, I was traveling and speaking in churches that were reading my blogs and connecting with mm. me. And so there was like two very different dynamics because mm. when I was traveling for Bethel, I had this very conscious thing of like, this is Bethel I'm representing. I'm going to give right. a Bethel message. Right. I'm going to share what Bethel would share. But then other times I would connect to churches that weren't connected to Bethel and were just interested in what I was about. And I'd be able to say what I wanted. Mm. And what's interesting is really what I found is in both cases, I probably started to gravitate to speaking something in the middle mm. because saying what I want was way too much for most churches right. anyway. Yeah. And actually saying exactly what Bethel were at, well, actually it wasn't helping people move forward. It was just teaching them what they already believed and they just pat themselves on the back and that mm-hmm. was it. Um, and a lot of people at church want that, mm. but it's not very helpful for helping them move forward. Yeah. And so even in that, I was starting to realize, okay, how do you help people change? Because if I come in and go... This is what you should believe. Um, 
that's not going to go well. Like yeah. if you go into, if you believe uh, there's no virgin birth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you went into a, an evangelical church and mm-hmm. gave a message on the fact that there's no yeah. evangelical, you, you're not getting an invite back, yeah. right? You're not coming back. Yeah. You're lucky if you get that to go out for lunch with the pastor after mm-hmm. that. Um, people aren't going to listen. They aren't going to accept it. They aren't even going to entertain the thought. Um, I'm not saying there's no virgin birth or is virgin birth. I've just given an example yeah. of an extreme position for yeah. an evangelical yeah. church. But if you go to the evangelical church and go, okay, how can I talk about the birth narrative of Jesus? And how can I introduce that some components have a, 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 a metaphorical mm. context? Not they, they may or may not be literal as well, mm. but how can I let people see beyond the, the literal maybe. and see the yeah. symbolism in it? Mm-hmm. And so what you do is you start allowing people to engage with these in a little bit less serious mm-hmm. right a bit more uh not less serious but less literal less yeah. less fundamental yeah um, and so that's the sort of thing i was trying to start doing mm-hmm. in churches and and that was really only as i left bethel i started to mm-hmm. do that and when i left bethel i made a hard policy if i would never go to a bethel church like a church that wanted me because i was at bethel because i didn't want to by the time i left bethel i had almost fully deconstructed in a lot of ways. It was very little left of my faith that was uh, identical. So some core values of like, we believed in God, we believed that Jesus was the son of God maybe, but it was a lot that had been deconstructed. And I was constantly feeling I was walking on a tightrope because I was obviously always trying to respect and, and honor mm-hmm. where they were at. I never, I never spoke out against Bethel. I never spoke out against Bethel leadership. I challenged some Bethel leaders one-on-one or in a group together. Um, and we had some healthy conversations. Generally speaking, they did quite well with that. And what were these? What were these differences? Do you want to explain that? Uh, a, a good example might be like um, I remember having one conversation with the leader of Global Legacy at the time, and we were writing some uh, some documentation on helping churches around the world mm. uh, replicate what Bethel did. And it was on the topic of worship, right? So mm. they were trying to create some write-ups of like, this is what you can do in your church. This is how to do worship. This will be, this will make it an amazing Bethel music experience, right? Which of course, by the way, the way you have Bethel music is you have like a thousand musicians show up and audition and pick the best and be- most beautiful people. Mm. Um, yeah. I'm assuming that wasn't in their manual. <laughs> no, especially the second part. Yeah. Um, but that was basically a, a big part of it. But there was lots of other parts about how they, you know, they would go, oh, this is how you transition into worship. This is how you set people up for worship. You share yeah. testimonies that make people realize how great God is and how yeah. big God is and remind them of how good God's been in their lives. And, you know, these things kind of set you up to be like really pumped to, to sing yeah. to God and worship him. Um, and so, sorry, I just had a thought of that's recording, but it is recording. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> um, but... So in this manual at the beginning, it says what one of the things we want you to do is we want you to um, be have be thankful for a whole month and celebrate your worship leader for bringing you into the presence of God. And I was like, that's just not true, is it really? Like, I'm like, they don't bring you into the presence of God. Like, what are we saying? Like, so are we saying that people aren't in the presence of God? And even when they get to church, they're not in the presence. It's not even like the church is the house of God and you're in the presence there. No, no. Even then, not until the worship leader gets on stage and goes, all right, everyone, come with me. Like, yeah. I was like, that's just, and I was like, I get the language works for some people. And I get that people can see what that, maybe a worship leader understands there's, uh, there's technical components to that. What they're saying is they're helping people turn their attention onto God or they're helping God, people realize that God's here and that he can worship or whatever. But I was like, that is really toxic language because what it does is it says, God's not with you. Yeah. 
any other time. Yeah. Um, and what it says is we need this person to bring us into the presence of God. And, and, and I was like, there's got to be a way to honor this worship leader and say thank you for your what you're doing, for how you help us, for how you help us open our eyes to God being present without saying that people aren't present, that God isn't always yeah. here. And so this ended up being a big argument because the leader was very passionate about this point. He, he believed. He was like, mm. no, there is something that a worship leader does that brings you more into the presence of God. Yeah. And so we had this big heated fight. Like it was, it, was, it was heated, but I went out for lunch with the guy afterwards. We had a good catch chat and we enjoyed it. You know, it never, people actually really did handle me really well. I was mm. always impressed by that and I'm always thankful for that. Um, but yeah, so we had moments like these where I was just like, guys, this, most of the time I would just work with where Bethel were at and go, oh, that's fine, whatever. Yeah. But at certain points I'm like, these manuals are going to 2,000 churches. Yeah. And you're telling 2,000 churches that their worship leader brings people yeah, into the Yeah, so presence. things that might that be, be actually really harmful. harmful, right? Yeah. Or if you're a brand new person, comes to yeah. church, not really a Christian. Yeah. Maybe if you've been in a charismatic church for 20 years, you know exactly what that yeah. means when they're like, oh, we're just going to enter the presence of God. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, I know what they're gonna, that is saying. Yeah. I know that I'm also in the presence of God otherwise. Yeah. But if you're new and you don't really understand this, you're like, oh, so there's something. I enter, so when I come to church and worship, I'm in the presence of God. But when I go home and with my family, I'm not. That's not something I want, wanted people to be t- taught. And so certain things I would push back on every now and again. Um, but for the most part, I was quite quiet. I didn't really go into the fact that, you know, maybe I thought a lot of things at Bethel were too political, mm-hmm. um, were too um, prosperity driven, were very legalistic a lot of the time, very mm-hmm. like works orientated mm-hmm. a lot of healing and stuff and things like that were very orientated around your what you were doing and you're very demon focused or whatever and and do you know what as i say all those things they were much less all of those things than most charismatic churches mm. they were they were uh, as far as if, if you're gonna be a charismatic christian i think bethel's a pretty good place mm. to go but they were homophobic they were mm. still quite sexist in a lot mm. of ways. They were very progressive in, in, their, uh, in their sexism, mm. you know? So they allowed women to speak and, and a lot of different things. But if you look at the senior leadership team, it was all guys, mm-hmm. right? If, you know, but if you, you know, yeah. there's certain things where you start to look and you go, oh, so this is still a boys club then. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, for sure, like there was different things. And I'm not saying that as a, how dare they? That's just where they're at. And that's yeah. their flavor of Christianity. And they are continuing to grow. Um but we were coming to a point where I was just, there was no way for me to really work for Bethel anyway. So I, I had to volunteer the two yeah, years because I'm a visa. UK citizen. Yeah. A, it's illegal for me to work. Mm-hmm. There was even things where they, I did like a, a really huge job for a project and they're like, we want to thank Phil somehow, but how do we do it? And they're like, can we give him a gift card to Walmart? Or is that technically going to yeah. like get us in trouble and people won't get visas to come to us and get you in trouble? You get kicked yeah. out. Like there was things that was yeah. really problematic at times. They were like, oh, and they're like contacting like, I guess like someone in their staff knows the legal implications and they're like well if you do this it'll be okay and I'm like, oh, okay cool like it was really you also complex. really struggled financially then like living there for how long and not getting paid i consistently had a bank balance somewhere between zero and a thousand dollars just always somewhere yeah. there and it, the most it ever got to is about a thousand dollars and I, I got paid even when i traveled and spoke i couldn't take an honorarium so when people wanted to say thank you for wow. it so i i'm the best guest speaker you ever <laughs> had as a church because i'm free they're not allowed yeah. to spend money on me so they'd spend money they'd take me out for a meal and they would pay they for my flights or whatever money. but they couldn't, they couldn't give, give me money. money it was illegal yeah. um and so yeah it was a really problematic um yeah. component so i got an itchy nose um yeah, so it was, it was a weird one for sure. But actually, I did really well financially. I, I looked back after I left um, Bethel. So I was there for about four years. I looked back. And in those four years, I gave over $15,000 wow. 
to the church, to ministries, to outreach, to, you know, missions. I, I, I just constantly, money just kept coming to me and I kept giving it away. Like, mm. I, cause I had this mentality that had been driven into me that I shouldn't have money. Mm. Um, I think a lot of it, I grew up poor mm-hmm. and then I entered my own business and we started doing well and I started making a lot of money and then God told me to leave the business. And I think I had to learn something about not having money as an idol. It was yeah. really important to me as a kid. I did not want to be poor like my parents. Um, and, uh, yeah, it does annoy me the narrative that all pastors are wealthy and rich because actually the vast majority of pastors are not. Yeah, um, it's just these mega pastors uh, generally, isn't And it? I think America is a different context yeah. as well to Even, most of yeah. the world. It's much more um, extreme. It's much more common yeah. for American pastors to be paid much more yeah. um, salaries. But but yeah, so like I, I had to relearn that actually what my parents were doing was not living in poverty. They were living in contentment. Mm-hmm. And they chose a life of going, we are happy to go to a church that can't pay us if it means we can love these people that would yeah. not get a pastor otherwise. And we're happy to go and work in this really rough area because no one else is willing to go there. Um, as a kid growing up in that, I saw that as a, a huge suffering, pain, yeah. whatever. And so I wanted to rise out. I wanted to become wealthy. I wanted to make something for myself. And then as I did that, realizing actually there's not much to this either, I let go of that and had to learn, oh, I can just trust. I and, and even today I use those principles. I might not have exactly the same language, but I use the principles of like, if I give into this world and I'm generous and that's why I do everything I do for free. I know you know this better than most. Everything I do for free, I don't charge for anything. And yet we survive, right? Mm-hmm. We make money. Even when yeah. even when you weren't working, it's also you work and you make a, a you know an okay amount of money. Um, but before then, yeah, because I was training. You were training. Nice, we so. survived. It was yeah. tight at times, and it mm-hmm. was there wasn't a lot, but we survived. Yeah. And and so I've always had this principle of as long as you're generous, as long as you keep giving what you're able to. Not in like a religious way, though, right? But of not in like a religious way. Exactly. We don't give a specific like, amount to the church every month. We don't give. Yeah. You know, there's maybe some. You know, um, you know, maybe some patrons. I give an exact amount yeah. to every month, or you know, whatever. But like, um, yeah, we're not. We're not going to do that legalistically, religiously, but yeah. just in a, a, a general attitude of like, you know, if we have people like, I remember when we were much more involved in the church, the church was like constantly, I was helping the young adults a lot and they were like, let us know what you spend and we'll, we'll, um, we'll make sure we reimburse you and stuff, which is a really lovely thing because they know yeah. I don't have a lot of money. Yeah. But I was like, no, this is actually, I, I don't even want reimbursed. In a sense, I'm like, that's almost takes away from the joy of, I get to give i get to mm. buy food for all my friends that come around i get to you yeah. know whatever like I, I want that to be a thing that i'm doing not just something i'm doing via the church right. yeah um, or on, <clears throat> on behalf of a church yeah. um and so yeah so when i was at bethel i actually there was moments i was pretty like dang i wish <laughs> i hadn't given any money to heidi baker last month and yeah. anyone knows heidi baker you never want to not give money to her. Yeah. she's like looking after the poorest of the poor in mozambique and giving yeah. homes to orphans and so you can't have her come to church and not end up giving money. Um, but then afterwards you're like, oh shit, how am I going to pay for mm-hmm. rent? And then again, like you just have this moment of like, okay, I've had this thought a hundred times and every time the rent gets paid, let's stop freaking out. Let's relax. And I'm sure at the time you would have seen it as like, God's going to provide. You would exactly. have had that kind of narrative. Every time. That's, yeah. that's entirely yeah. how I framed it at that time mm-hmm. was very much like I'm positioning myself to quote unquote live by faith, mm-hmm. which is, a bizarre i understand that phrase but on a sense in another sense actually it's very um disparaging to everyone else that has a job mm. right because you're not yeah. living by faith yeah but of course that living by faith can be a hundred ten yeah. different things i think it, it in that context it's a thing. bit different yeah. exactly 
Um, and even if it's financial, in some sense, you're living by faith. You've got a faith yeah. that this job's going to continue, that you, you know, whatever, or exactly. that you don't have some massive emergency that costs you all yeah. your money. You end up with no money anyway. Or if you're in America, you don't end up like really ill and end up like penniless, you know. Or, um, so everyone on some level, uh, on some, in some way lives that way. But yeah, so for me, it was very much, um, yeah, it was very freeing for me. And it actually, I'm very thankful for that season of extremism. Because I was very extreme mm. in that season. Um, I'm very thankful for that because it has positioned me to trust in a way that I don't think... If, I, if I'd come out of work and somehow deconstructed and gone straight into what I'm doing today, I'd really struggle doing what I do today. Like, we, we have a very up-and-down income from my side, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, yours goes up and down a little yeah. bit as well, yeah. even. But, like, you know, um, Tilly Tutor's kids, in case people are interested. Um <laughs> But yeah, so like, you know, that fluctuation, that, you know, that income where someone giving $5, $10 a month can be a a great change. It's like, oh, great. That's, that's, you know, a sizable, we've got 60 bucks more, uh, 120 bucks more a a year now. Like that that adds up quite Mm -hmm. fast. Um, Very few people live with that day in, day out and have trained for that in the same way that I think that season at Bethel where I wasn't allowed to work for four years, that trained me Mm. to just trust and Mm -hmm. just trust that God, the universe, whatever it is, it's in my favor. It works for me. Probably like learning just how to budget and like be be frugal and that kind of stuff as well, I'm sure. That's a huge deal for me, learning budgeting. And um, as as terrible as Dave Ramsey is in so many different ways, I'm so thankful for... (laughs) he was my introduction to like, Hey, you've got to get budgeting. You've got to figure this out. And, and I was like, gosh, yeah, I really do have to figure this stuff out. If yeah. I'm going to survive on nothing, I want to be intense. And yeah. Serious. But at the same time, actually, I remember in that season, God's telling me, and I, I use these phrases, God telling me that's, that's where I was at. Yeah. I don't know yeah. what I would say necessarily now. Um, but God telling me, I want you to not budget for a few mm. months because you're just getting too, <laughs> too focused yeah, on, do I have rigid. enough and whatever. And like, I remember when I first got to Bethel, um, I had about $400 in the bank the first month and my rent was $400. And I remember I'm sitting down and I was writing up a budget and like someone asked me, do you want to go to like In-N-Out Burger for a burger? And I'm like, dude, dude I can't afford In-N-Out Burger. And I remember I felt God say, dude, you can't afford rent, ne- rent next month. He's yeah. like, you can go have a burger. <laughs> and I was like, that's such a good point. I'm I'm looking at $400 in the bank and my rent is $400 a month. And I'm trying to figure out how I budget $400 yeah, I mean, for really nine months. You know, that's not going to happen. And so it was just this this moment of going, oh, like, what am I doing? I either have to trust this or yeah. I don't. Like, yeah. I don't have an option to, like, yeah. um, to budget. You can't budget $400 for nine months. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't work. No. Um, and so, yeah, it was just, um, it was just a very, uh, it was a wild season. It was a really mm. weird season. But I'm really thankful for it in so many ways. I, I learned so much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, should we take a little break? Yeah, let's do that. Welcome back to part two, which is for us part three, because I didn't record my audio. Um, so we are now three hours deep yeah. in a, what is one hour recorded podcast. So we seem tired. It's because we've been going we've for three hours. We've literally just done this for two hours. <laughs> yeah. Now we're having now the we're, same conversation. We're, we're laughing because at the end of the last one, we're like, well, this is kind of a boring conversation for both of us, really, because we know our, <laughs> my story. Um, and uh, even for you to just listen to my story. Um, now you have to listen to that part again as you ask, you'll be able to ask better questions knowing what I hopefully, might say <laughs> hopefully yeah I'll be like, mm, that wasn't so good the last time yeah it's let's steer him away from that yeah <laughs> yeah so here we are okay so we left off we were talking about Bethel and stuff yeah right? 
That's right, yeah. Um, okay. So, um, I'm like, do I ask the same questions as I did? <laughs> um, I think, yeah, so the one thing that we didn't really talk about so much in part one was um, in terms of your deacon, because you mentioned that you deconstructed a little bit at Bethel. Um, we didn't go so much into detail about exactly what what were those yeah. beliefs that you deconstructed that you know that you had started to question or let go of yeah so i mean there was a lot of things really i I mentioned i was reading like kind of a lot more progressive books and so i was starting to ask questions of um you know why are we as a church not more focused on the other um you know there's a lot of like let's get people saved but there's not Mm. you know can we go and you know reach people that are in these broken positions and change that you know a lot of jesus's teachings of heaven on earth were Mm -hmm. about go find someone that's sick and heal them go find someone that's poor and give them some money go find someone that's hungry and feed them um and and we do that in church sometimes but generally speaking it's wrapped up in a so they get saved yeah right even a lot of our ministries we're like oh bring homeless people to church so they get saved, yeah. you know, like we'll give them a meal and it's like, yeah, so they get saved or we'll bring mm. kids to the kids ministry. So they get yeah. saved, you know, it's like we can't do anything without that. For and, its and own it, sake. And it yeah. makes sense because that is the, the cornerstone of faith. Yeah. Um, so a lot of those things were coming in, but also like some of the other kind of components of that that are more outward focused things like, why are we not affirming of gay people? Mm-hmm. LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. what is our issue? Like, can we look at this differently? And, and realizing I can look at it very differently, I can come to terms with this in a very different way and, and approach it in a different, um, unique way. Um, and so, yeah, that was a really big issue for me. Um, hell, seeing hell differently, that, that historically there's been many views of hell and we've been given one. Mm-hmm. And that seems really kind of very pigeonholed or the end times, you know, like everyone's like, well, are you, does Jesus come back before the rapture for you or after or during the rapture? What do you think? And I'm like, the more I study it, I'm like, well, the rapture is a new idea. It only came up like 160 years ago. What did Christians believe for 1800 years, you know, like <laughs> yeah. when, when the rapture wasn't on the table. And so like, you know, starting to ask these questions that people are like, what? Like, why are you asking these questions? Like, that's not the question. <laughs> mm. of course there's a rapture the pastor mm-hmm. talks about rapture all the time or you know or whatever um and so realizing that like there was just so much to deconstruct there was so much to wade through there was nothing that wasn't questionable mm. and so during my time at Bethel I had the time suddenly as well mm. like before I mean I was running a full-time job I was working 18 hour days literally 18 I was sleeping in the office sometimes <laughs> um and for like three years you know I mean like we were working our butts off me and the guys that started that business and um, I didn't have space to do this. I yeah. like, occasionally I'd be thinking about some of this. And I, you know me, I do this even when I'm tired. I'm gonna like, you know, yeah. like, oh, what about this? Um, but suddenly I had hours and hours and hours a day, and people were asking me for my opinion, which only mm. fuels me more because I want to be right. Yeah. Right. So I'm like, well, I better get the right answer. So I, when people ask my opinion, I can give them the right answer. That was certainly where I was coming from at that point. Was that a deconstruction then, if you were looking for the right answers? Well, exactly. So this is where it began for me. Yeah. Um, I'm really struggling to remember where we were episode I know, one and me two. Too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if there's some repeating in here, you guys, <laughs> I'm really sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, so your deconstruction, I mean, it has three components, doesn't it? And, and did we cover this? Not in the first part. We so didn't. Okay, good, so <laughs> um, you, you, you have to question core values. So it's not like 
secondary issues or peripheral issues. Some people talk about those core values are, you know, like, is there a God? Mm. Uh, did Jesus really die and rise again? Was, was, was he from a virgin birth? Really? Like those are questions that are like going to really shake your foundation in Christianity. Would you say one person's core beliefs or values might be different exactly. to another person's as exactly. well? Exactly. Yeah. So a core value in mm. a Unitarian church might be very mm. different to a core value in a Southern Baptist yeah. church. Um, you know, like that's going to be changed. But across the board, generally for conventional yeah. Christians, what's acceptable is Christianity for most people. Yeah. The core values are going to be relatively similar. Yeah. And so you'll find that certain things cross a line regardless of where you are. So things like um, maybe even affirming homosexuality. Across most of conventional Christianity, if you go into a church and say, I affirm gay people or I am gay, yeah. could I be your senior pastor? Yeah. Guess what answer you're going to get? In most churches. Now, yeah. of course, that's starting to change and some yeah. churches are changing. Yeah. But generally speaking, yeah. that would be a core value for some people. Yeah. Whereas things like, hi, I know a lot of you here believe in a rapture after the, uh, uh, <laughs> Jesus returning after the rapture. I'm kind of thinking he might come during the rapture. Could I be a part of your leadership team? Could I be an active part of your community? People would be like, yeah, that's a secondary yeah. issue. We're yeah. fairly chill on that. Some churches, again, might be yeah. really intense about that. But generally, it's a secondary issue. And so for me, it's the first part is the core values being challenged. And then the second part is that the core values don't stand up to the challenge and you have to change them. Mm. So you actually find yourself believing radically differently to your traditional faith. So those are the first two parts of deconstruction. And I was definitely going through that. Yeah. The third part, it's, it's, it's a qualifier to deconstruct. You are deconstructing when you tick all three boxes. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people are beginning to deconstruct without ticking this third box yet. The third part is to have more uncertainty than you had before. So these new answers that you have, these new beliefs you have, you hold them lighter than you mm -hmm. held your prior beliefs. At this stage, I was still very fundamental. I still held a lot of my beliefs that I came into more fundamentally, mm. um, or at least as fundamentally as I held my old beliefs. And so I wasn't really fully um, ticking that academic perspective of what deconstruction okay. is early on. I, that was growing as time went yeah. on. Even at that point, certain things I was like, yeah, but I don't, that's not a game changer for me. And actually I mm. might be wrong. So I'm going to hold it quite loosely. Um, other things I was very fundamental about. I was very into the grace message at that time and a very um, grace message. A lot of people think of like Joseph Prince, John Crowder, um, C. Baxter Kruger, these kind of names, Steve McVeigh. Very fundamental, very black and white, which is kind of funny, of course, because the grace movement was like all about letting go of legalism yeah. and being gracious and uh, inclusive. But it was still very black and white. Not many gay people in the grace message, you know, like leading that message. Uh, not many, uh, whatever, like it, they're still very black and white mm. in a lot of ways. Um, and so I was still very black and white in a lot of ways. There were certain things I was becoming less certain on and other things I stayed very certain on. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I think I, I was deconstructing, but I was early in my deconstruction. Yeah. I mean, this is 12 years ago now. So I mean, it's sure. still a while back, yeah. 13, maybe even years ago. Mm. Um, and was that, a you're going to struggle to answer this, I know, but um, for, the, for the viewers, like, how, did that affect you emotionally? Like... Looking back on it and trying to reflect on it, I think it did. Mm. I, so for people that don't follow me closely, mm. I have something called alexithymia, which mm -hmm. means that I have the full range of human emotions. But generally speaking, I struggle to identify while I'm having emotions. And so when I'm upset, when I'm angry, when I'm happy, often I don't know I'm upset, angry, happy. It's often you that's like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I think I'm fine. And she's like, 
looks like you're a bit down. And I'm like, okay. And you're like, what's happened today? And I'll talk to you about my day. And then you're like, that sounds like something I'd be upset about. Do you think you're upset? And I'm like, yes, that's what I've been feeling today. Oh, interesting. So it's, it's basically a disconnect between two parts of the brain that don't talk as well as they could. Um, and it's very common in a lot of people about one in 10 people have alexithymia to some degree, but it's a huge spectrum, you know, so obviously most people don't have it on a very strong uh, degree, but a lot of people that are disconnected from their emotions maybe might um, have some compartments of, or or components of alexithymia. But the reason I say that is it makes it very hard for me. Generally, I only ever really reflect on emotions. Like I look back on my day, I look back on a period of time and go, what was I feeling then? Yeah. And I have to kind of construct it from like, oh, so I had like a fight with that person or I got really, um, you know, whatever. I, I locked myself away for two days and I was really uh, whatever. And that might mean that I was probably very frustrated and upset. And, you know, maybe it was because yeah. I felt like this. Uh, so looking back on that time, I think I felt very conflicted. I felt very hidden. I mm. felt... Um, I felt I couldn't be myself. Yeah. Um, I also felt a great drive. There's a thing in me to fix the world, to help people, to change people, especially at that time where I was more black and white. These days, I have a desire to help people grow and evolve and change, but not to change into me. Right. Back then, because I thought I was right, I would look at things and go, this is wrong. How do I help people come to where I am, yeah. which is right, which is of course hilarious because in two weeks you're going to believe a different thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think I, I was constantly kind of warring with a lot of emotions. I felt very held back at times because um, I think a lot of people at Bethel knew I was um, I was um, very vocal, I was very well liked, but at the same time I was very controversial, mm. and there was a lot of problems with potentially including me in certain things or giving me a platform and so I felt constantly frustrated that um people would talk around that issue oh we can't we can't hire you Phil because um because you're international and that's a problem right. we couldn't get a visa for that and then they hire my friend that's from yeah. you know another country and you're like just be honest okay so it's not just yeah. because of that I'm yeah. sure there's some components of that but it feels like there was something else going on there as well. Yeah. And eventually we kind of did part ways a bit more clearly of like, look, we're just yeah. very different places. And, and I was very happy with that as well. I, I felt I needed to cut the tie there because um, I had started to travel and speak. I'd, I'd always, um, in that season where I was volunteering at Bethel, I traveled and spoke for Bethel to some Bethel churches and stuff. But I always had made that about what Bethel's message was, what they were about, what the church had asked us to speak about. Often wasn't what I was particularly interested in. I never spoke about my stuff or what I was about. It was kind of a very kind of line in the sand. That's Bethel's world. And I'm going to just do what Bethel would have. Mm. If, if if they had had anyone from Bethel show up, it would be the same sort of thing. Yeah. Um, Whereas I was also doing my own stuff at this point. I was starting to go to churches and do conferences. And that that was more like the grace kind of. Exactly. This is people that are reading my blogs or listen to a podcast. I had a podcast many moons ago. I don't know if you'll ever find any of the messages on that. Um, Have you deleted them all? I haven't deleted them, but I, I think I just stopped paying for certain hosts or things like that. And some people might have downloaded them. They might be somewhere. (laughs) Um, If you look hard enough, there's plenty of messages on church websites from when I visited and spoke or whatever. Um, But I wouldn't recommend it. Um, The vast majority of people listening to this or watching this are not going to be in that place where they find that particularly helpful or interesting. Um, But yeah, so when I was going to those places, I was very conscious of like, okay, what's, 
what's what are they wanting? They're wanting the Phil that wrote this blog or yeah. whatever. They're not wanting someone from Bethel. Sometimes there was an overlap, of mm. course, and I had mm. to constantly yeah. walk that line of like, how do I respect Bethel and not whatever. When I left Bethel, I just drew a line in the sand and I said, anyone that wants me to come who also knows that I'm from Bethel and that's a part of that, I just didn't go. I said, look, I'm not going to go um, to you if you're wanting me because I was yeah. at Bethel. I just thought... Yeah. There's too much of a, um, an ethical questionnaire of like, am I using my Bethel connection mm. to try and build my own thing? And um, mm. and there's yes and no's and pros and cons to how you could construct an argument around that and, and whatever. But I just thought this is just too messy and as much yeah. cleaner to draw a line in the sand. So I only did my own thing from then on. Mm. Um, and so that was much easier to go about. Mm-hmm. Um, than when I was at Bethel. And so leaving Bethel was a really helpful thing for me and a healthy thing for me. Mm. Um, it allowed me to really flourish and just do what mm-hmm. I wanted to do, which, of course, because I was deconstructing, was not fully who I was or what I wanted. It was finding a middle ground between me and you because where you're at, if I teach there, I'm going to die. And actually, what am I helping you? I'm just patting you on the back for believing what you already believe, which is in my opinion, not particularly that helpful or yeah. healthy or whatever. But if I teach you where I am at, it's going to go disastrously. So I need to find some sort of mechanism to help you move from A to, I would say Z back then, but probably from A to D or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like help you take some steps forward. And yeah. so I was always in this middle place. And anyone that does anything public knows this, that there's a component of where you're at and what you would say to your closest friends. It's not always what you would say online um, because it might not be helpful for everyone. It might not be the best way to communicate a message. It might be more effective to still be authentically you, still be true to who you are and what you believe, but said from a perspective of the person that you're speaking to is is understanding Mm -hmm. your audience Mm -hmm. and stuff. And so that was the world I lived in for a long time, probably like eight, nine years, I was living in that kind of middle ground, um, which was really hard to Mm. do. Um, I I got good at it and enjoyed it. It wasn't hard in the sense of like um, technically or intellectually. Uh, That was definitely at times like it was a challenge or something. But what was hard about it was the emotional component of like spending 180, 200 days a year around the world in different churches and different homes, talking to people, and there being a, a component of they don't really know me and mm-hmm. I can't really let my hair down. Mm-hmm. I can't really tell you what I think about these things. I'm constantly watching my words and saying what is helpful for you on this journey. Um, yeah, that was, that was a, a challenging component. But to be honest with you, it's what brought me here. If I hadn't gone into those places, if I hadn't stayed in the church and worked in the church, um, I wouldn't have found so many people that were deconstructing. I don't Mm. know if I would have found validation for my own journey. I didn't know people that were deconstructing outside of people I bumped into when I went on these trips and I would stay at someone's home and they're like, that message you preach, I like that. I really like it. Would you, would you say it's like this or could, could it be said like this? I I, don't tell my pastor I said this, but what about that? And they would, they would, they would start to see where my message might go Ah. and they would go, (laughs) that's kind of where I'm thinking as well. Or they might, see that there was a bit more safety with some uncertainty or asking a question here or there, um, that there was some permission given in a sermon or in a conversation that when behind closed doors, when you went out for a meal or when you went to stay at someone's home, you went back to their house, they would be like, can I, can I ask you a question? Mm. And you start to realize that all over the world, 
there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands. I mean, there's millions, of course, yeah. um, of these people that are deconstructing mm -hmm. and there's no safety for them. There's no mm -hmm. one. They don't know anyone they can turn to. This is like close to 10 years ago. Now. It's about eight years ago that I really started uh, seeing this phenomenon um, more and more. And it was probably because I changed, not because anything else changed. I think this has been going on for a lot longer. Um, but people didn't know. They didn't have words for this. They didn't have the evangelical right. deconstructing, yeah. you know, all these terms. Um, even today, most people don't have these yeah. terms when it starts. Yeah. You, you just stumble into this world yeah. and go, oh my God, thank God, there's a whole world of people doing this. Or you're just like, I'm backslidden. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Okay, if if you don't have words, the words, yeah. you've got, you're going to take the Christian yeah. side of it, which is backslidden, yeah. you know, apostate, heretic. Yeah. Um, they're not the most positive list. No, are they? no. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's the beauty of it is I started to see this. And I think we did this in the first round or when we. Uh, right. lost the recording but we talked about like how i ended up becoming a leader in this kind of space yeah. like it just was natural yeah the more people i talked to there was like oh my god there's like thousands of people in this place and no one's quote-unquote pastoring them mm. there's there's pastors for people that are conventional christians mm. that are doing fine mm -hmm. and maybe they're not doing fine maybe their their wife's sick but they need a conventional answer to their conventional Christian framework for their conventional kind of world view uh, in this particular hardship or something. But there's no one for when you go, I'm not sure if I believe in Jesus anymore, or is God really a guy? Like, can God be a woman as well? Or is God beyond m masculine, feminine concepts? There was no one there yeah. for them to ask that. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, well, surely in a world where there's millions and millions of people, more than a million people in America every year are starting to deconstruct and de-church and leave their kind of like um, traditional concept mm. of faith. Let alone the rest of the world. Let alone the rest <laughs> of the entire world. That's like a million people. And I'm like maybe helping like at this point, like a few hundred of them. Yeah. I'm like, I hope I'm not the only person, yeah. right? I'm like, Jesus, I'll yeah. die overnight. Yeah. Um, so, and Do you think there was no one else doing it back then? No, there was loads. Loads oh, of okay. people were doing okay. this. You know, even like you think of someone like Rob Bell. Yeah. Who was very vocal, very like, wow. Like he had a big fall from grace, but he had his podcast. He was helping people. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously that's quite new as well. Actually, yeah. it's only about five, six years old. I think he's been doing that. But like there were different people that were doing this. Like Rob's writing a book called Love Wins. That's yeah. speaking to people that are deconstructing yeah. and asking big questions. It's not speaking mm. to conventional Christians as much. Um, there was loads of people. I've talked to people on my podcast that are like, oh, yeah, I started talking about this and writing about this like 15 years ago. And I'm mm. like, oh, my God, where were you when I needed you? Um, <laughs> yeah. And so I think the difference is that we're just seeing more and more community grow. I mean, this, mm. this is the what, 15 years ago. That's like the very cusp of the beginning of like Twitter and Facebook and stuff. That's like, true. Yeah. We didn't Social have media, these like amazing yeah. uh, tools yeah. as much as there are terrible tools as well. Yeah. We didn't have these tools like Instagram and Facebook mm. to kind of bring us together yeah. around topics and hashtags. Um, and so I think there were people doing this. I mm. just think, there wasn't a space like there is today. Yeah. And even now, I mean, there's, there's a thriving community. There's loads of people doing this, but it's not enough. We need more people mm. having this conversation, more people standing there going, I, I will make space for you. Come and talk with me, process with me. Like most of what I do day in, day out is just listening. All I do is just listen to people tell their story and just say, that sounds horrible. Mm. That sounds terrible. I'm mm. really sorry that you're going through that. That's basically my job. Like, I occasionally I'll say, I, I understand what you're saying there. I've talked to other people that are going through this. Your situation is very unique, but actually in a lot of ways, it's very similar. And so many other people are going through a similar thing. You're not alone in this. The power of that 
is very simple from my end, right? My job is not hard in a lot of ways. Um, but the power of that to the person hearing it, oh my God, like, because you do feel alone. You yeah. do feel yeah. one-off. You do feel like an absolute insane person. You do feel backslidden and heretical and God's forsaken you and like whatever it might yeah. be. Um, we need more people doing that for yeah. sure. And so why I, I'm doing this is because there's a desperate need for it. But I just kind of grew into it. Yeah. Um, and I said in the other recording as well, I keep mentioning the other recording. Sorry, guys, it's gone. Um, well, it's just There's a really, <laughs> really bad version. It was like your microphone yeah. where you were loud and I was quiet, which maybe is a better uh, mix. Um, but uh, I said in that other one, I, I think there is a component within my makeup, my personality, where I am a big personality. I do naturally tend to, um, in a room, just kind of jump in and make mm. a big statement and 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 be the center of attention and sometimes i hate that but most of the times i probably love it mm. right and so there is a part of my ego that that naturally tends towards um the stage the leadership the whatever is that um, part of your uh, enneagram is that apparently yes really? i'm not strong enough on the enneagram but people that are on that like apparently my strongest one is eight which is um like it's to do with like challenging but it's also to do with protecting others and um but yeah i think there's a, a big part of that uh, if i'm five and a three as well my next two mm -hmm. so if you've got the three you've got the heart the gut and the mind so mm -hmm. it's kind of how the three 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 are broke um those are my main ones and and i think with that mix it does yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not very good yeah. on the Enneagram. But like, no. yeah, I, I definitely, I'm certainly wired to yeah. challenge, to speak yeah. out. And, and and I think, generally speaking, that puts me in front of, mm -hmm. uh, of other people. Because mm -hmm. like it or not, I might not be the best person to be there and noticeable. But yeah. because I'm speaking out against yeah. people that are saying in wrong things or speaking out against wrong theology or challenging the church, because I'm doing that publicly... People notice it. Yeah. They go, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just doing it. I'll just do what I can. Um, maybe I know a bit. But, you do. You um, do. Yeah. So I think, yeah, it's part, it's definitely part of my personality to do that. Yeah. And, and I think, and there's definitely negative components to that as well of my ego and my, mm. um, I like being, I don't know, noticed. I mean, right. We all want to be noticed. We all want to be yeah. accepted and loved and, and not rejected and seen and yeah. understood. And a lot of that is wrapped up in that for sure. I'm, I'm slowly, a lot of that is dying and a lot of that is becoming more healthily formed and shaped. Um, but there's certainly some negative components or toxic components of that still alive and well, mm -hmm. I'm sure within me. Um, yeah, I think that's just natural part of yeah. growth, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, so I I took your one question from no, you there. No, it's great. In that you've bit, you've ticked off two. I was questions just remembering. That, oh, so this would good. lead into that yeah. really well. And it, it was natural, <laughs> good natural flow. So uh, it's great. This re-recording, it was two hours. It's going to be like gonna, an hour by yeah, the time yeah, we yeah. are. <laughs> um, so just backtracking a little bit, um, you got divorced, didn't yes. you? Was that? And I got um, married. We didn't even bring up the fact I got married. No, so. I think we did. Oh, we did, did? We not mention that. I think we mentioned maybe that we the did. First part. So you got married and you got divorced. Yeah. Um, and people were asking, how did you how did you make peace with your divorce? So mm. do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I think I got married in the midst of being very fundamental and quite certain in a lot of ways. And I was deconstructing in some ways. I'd started to unravel in a little bit. But on the whole, I was still in that Bethel world. I got married to someone else that was very wrapped up in the Bethel world. Yeah. She was in Scotland. I was in the U US at the time. And we yeah. met when I went back home. 
we got married like a few months later. So you met, did it's you very meet rapid. when you were actually in different places? No, you know? we met when I came back to Scotland. Oh, okay. Um, and then you had to go back. And then I had to go back yeah. and we did long distance. Yeah. And then I came back, I think like a few months later and we got engaged and then I went back and then we came back and I got married and then we both went to America. It's very back and forth. Yeah, so did you a like... A lot of long distance. Did you not have much time then actually in the same place before you... That's really interesting. Um, I would say, I mean, collectively, over that year, we probably collectively... Um, were together for about four and a half months. So I mean, it was still like okay, a decent yeah. chunk of time. Yeah. Um, but it not long. It's not really, a lot. To and, be and getting married to somebody. Absolutely. But in in this world, you get married to people you barely know. It's just a That's normal thing. And and it? it's um and even like I, I, there's so much wrapped up in this where neither of us were really ready for this type of relationship uh, and this level of relationship. Um. And, and I have to say, Sarah is amazing and was amazing and was a great yeah. wife, amazing person. Uh, we both had our flaws. We both had our, like, amazing qualities, as any couple yeah. do. Um, but we both were not really in a place, looking back on that, to be married and probably to be married to one another. It was, it was mm. a very um, healthy, in some ways, relationship, but a very unhealthy relationship in other ways. Mm. Um, we both just had a lot that was going on. I was still figuring out who I was. Mm. I was still figuring out my faith. I was still figuring out my identity. I still had so much of my upbringing that was quite toxic. My, um, my masculinity, my sex, uh, my, my, my identity and sexuality, mm. like, uh, my understanding of like what sex looks like and things like, that. like I mean, mm. honestly, at the end of the day, we got married for the same reasons that all Christians <laughs> get married. We want to have sex. We want to, like, you know, be in a relationship for more than a few years. We're going to have to get married. That's the yeah. rules, you know? If you want to live together. Um, yeah, we want to live together. Yeah. All these things, like, it's, like, done. You know, you yeah. have to tick all these boxes. Yeah. Um, and so I think there was a lot of stuff going on there that wasn't very healthy. And I feel so much for Sarah because I was not in a place where I could love um, and be in a, a relationship, a partnership with another woman in a healthy way because I still had so much sexism. I still had so much patriarchy in the way I thought and mm. interacted. And even when the marriage came to an end, it came to an end because Sarah basically said, look, I don't think this is working and I want to leave. I want it to be over, you know, and we, we done a bit of therapy and different things, but she was just like, I just, it's not working. I want out. And I really fought that. But looking back, I didn't fight it because I loved her. I didn't even fight it because I wanted to be with her. Mm. Uh, maybe because I wanted to be with her. But why did I want to be with mm. her? Not because I loved her. Not because mm. I wanted to spend my entire life with Sarah. I fought it because of my ego, because of wow. my identity wrapped up in that story, the marriage, the yeah. relationship. I fought See, it because... it's like a failure maybe. Yeah, I, I failed God. Yeah. I'm a failure. What yeah. will other people think? Because I'm in, I'm in ministry. Mm -hmm. People don't look on people that get divorced well in ministry. That's a failure. That's a whatever. Like, yeah. So there's so much ego. And, and the, the fact, looking back, I'm like, God, that is a great sign that you should leave that relationship, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, of course. And how many relationships? I mean, we've all had relationships where we look back and go, oh my gosh, that was just unfair that I tried to make that work for so long. It wasn't fair <laughs> to the other person, never mind to me. Yeah. Um, and and so I look at that and I just like, gosh, I'm so glad she kind of came to that point. Um, but for me, I really fought that. I really struggled with it. I really warred with it. It was a really painful. I was about a month, six weeks of real agony, real pain, 
waking up in the morning just wanting to go back to sleep because mm -hmm. at least when I was asleep, I wasn't in pain. Mm -hmm. It was just like horrifying. Didn't eat, was just upset all the time, just was not in a good place. Yeah. And um, it's only through kind of like contemplation, reflection that I realized, wow, this is all me. It's all my ego. Everything about this is me, 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 me. Even in our relationship, I don't really know why Sarah left. I have an idea of why Sarah left, but it's my idea, it's my thoughts, it's my beliefs, mm. it's my worlds that I'm creating. And I actually sent her a message. I said, look, would you be willing to talk with me? Um, and I know I've not done well at listening. I'm not going to talk. You can Skype me. Back in the day of Skype, no Zoom send. Mm -hmm. So you can Skype me. I won't talk. And I just want to hear, how have you come to this place and this decision and, and why do you want to end things? And I just, I won't argue. I won't try and convince you. I've done enough of that. Um, and she was really gracious and, and accepting to do that. And I really am thankful because it was probably without that, I would have really struggled. Yeah. But just listening to her talking about it, I was like, oh my gosh, this isn't even about me. It's about you. Because we all live our lives about us. Yeah. Right? We're all these kind of like individual, everything we think is like from this center of gravity out. Um, and so she's like, she's telling me things and I'm like, oh, I thought it was because uh, I didn't love you well enough. I wasn't a good enough partner. I wasn't good enough sexually. I didn't spend enough time with you. I spent too much time with you. I didn't get to know your friends enough. Like, And sure, some of those things were in the mix, maybe, but really it wasn't that. It was, oh, I want. I just think we could do better. I just don't think we're very healthy. I think we're probably basically more like we'd be amazing roommates, you know, but mm -hmm. like we're not really like, I wouldn't, you know, having a family together, things, I just not, I just mm -hmm. don't think this works. I think we could do better. Mm -hmm. um, and she's right. We could have done better. I've done better. I, I'm <laughs> sure she could have done better because looking back, I'm like, that wasn't the most healthy relationship. Um, but I would never have done that. Maybe one day. But at mm. what point when I had four kids, right. when we had a massive house, well, I never probably would have had a massive house. <laughs> Maybe she would have got a good job. Um, but realizing, oh my gosh, that's such a, a unhelpful thing. But realizing when she said all this stuff and realizing there's nothing I can do to change this stuff. This is just where you're coming from. And, and she was saying like, she's like, I know we could make this work. She's like, you've talked nonstop the whole time when I've said, I'm not sure this is working out. You said, we can make this work. And she said, I know we can make it work. I just don't think us making it work will be a particularly great thing. Mm -hmm. Why kill ourselves for an average relationship when we wow. can go out there and have a great relationship yeah. with someone? Yeah. Um, and that just took a weight off my shoulder because it wasn't that I agreed with her. Mm -hmm. It was that I realized it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. She's not in. Yeah. And you can't have a relationship with only one person in. Yeah. Um, and so there's just this weight lifted and I suddenly felt this freedom to just be me and figure out, well, okay, well, what does it look like next? What next? You know, stop beating yourself up over why did this happen? What could I have done differently? Instead of doing that, just go, okay, well, what next? Because I can't change the past, mm. but I can change what the future looks mm -hmm. like. And that looks like working today on my life and I'm, I'm in my personal identity on some of the stuff that she didn't like maybe or some of the stuff I don't like certainly uh, excuse me and so yeah I just think that freed me up so much I, it, it allowed me to um, recreate really healthy relationships especially with females so when I was with Sarah before I met Sarah I had really great female friends um, I've always connected a lot as an adult with females a lot more than males um, I have friends of both but um yeah, you have some great guy friends but, as well, don't but you? I but I do really connect very yeah. closely with, with women generally. Yeah. And uh, for Sarah, that just wasn't, she wasn't very comfortable with that. And that, that was okay. That was just where she was at. And that was the kind of boundaries that she needed for her our, our relationship. But it never worked very well for me. And 
I really probably had a lot of resentment, hurt, and different mm. stuff. So just to be able to rediscover having friendships with with girls again, I'm like, oh gosh, this is really great. And it's healthy. And that allowed me to start really engaging with a lot of my sexism, a lot of my patriarchy, a lot of these machism and, and unhealthy masculinity and different things that I hadn't really explored. I, I should have, and I could have. I just wasn't in the place to do it. I needed that pain to push me into that. Because Sarah studied uh, women and uh, gender studies. Like, you mm-hmm. know, she was a harsh yeah. feminist, like really, really, not harsh, sorry, hard feminist, like really passionate mm-hmm. about that. And and I just wasn't in a place to be able to connect mm-hmm. with it. And it's actually only after afterwards I was like, gosh, I missed an opportunity there and I yeah. want to learn about these things. I want to grow. And so it's brought me to a place where I can be a much better partner for you. Mm-hmm. You know, our marriage is so much more healthy because of the things I have grown through that and and faced that. And even um, how I see relationships, how I see what marriage is. Like marriage going into my first marriage was really toxic. It was really unhealthy Christian thing of like, you know, I'm the husband, you're the wife. Like we have these roles that fit this term and marriage has to happen. Like we could not be married and we'd have just the same relationship. Right. It's a term. It's a bit of paper. Yeah. I love getting married. I love our wedding day. Yeah. But that's irrelevant to us, like where we're at, yeah. you know. Um, whereas before that was a thing and it was a thing to preserve and protect and uphold. And uh, and there was so much behind that and so much there's so much connotation behind like, oh, I'm a married person. Mm. Now I'm not, I'm not in this relationship to preserve the relationship. I'm in this relationship to see you thrive and grow and, and, and flourish. And I think in a, in a Christian relationship, that's a scary thing to allow your partner to do because as we change, it puts pressure on the relationship. Actually, the relationship is much more comfortable if we just stay exactly the Mm. same. Um, and that's why a lot of people would deconstruct. There's real pressure there because, well, I signed up for someone that believed the same as me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, but I think, so coming into a relationship and saying, no, I didn't sign up for you to believe what I believed. When we got married, we did not believe the same things. And we knew that. Um, we had the same sort of framework, the same sort of ideologies, generally core values. Um, but we were accepting of like, some of those might change. That's okay. Yeah. It's a good thing. Um, and so it's just a very different position um, to hold a relationship it's mm-hmm. much more open-handed it's not I, i'm not um not jealous if you speak to another guy i'm not scared or i, I was quite jealous and, and intimidated because i think sarah was more free and more uh, developed and and, and uh, mature than i was mm. that i was like the person it's funny because i talk about you know she wasn't comfortable with me having guy uh, girlfriends i probably wasn't that comfortable with having <laughs> guy friends like we were both like working that out she worked that out long before i did yeah um and now like you know me i'm like gosh i wouldn't have a problem with you having just guy friends a hundred of them it's not i'm just not gonna live insecure i believe that you love me and i'm gonna trust you yeah um yeah so i think it's just a very different way to live and so i'm actually really thankful for that season i wouldn't suggest Mm -hmm. anyone goes through a divorce this wasn't fun it was horrible it was painful it was heartbreaking but i can't look back on it without smiling and being thankful because it made me a better person it brought me to you it made me a better husband I, like i'm only better for that and i and i really i'm not in touch with sarah anymore like we, we just um haven't stayed in touch but i really hope it worked out for her as well mm. i really hope that she did find a much better mm. situation for her whatever that looks like for her um because yeah what we had just wasn't it wasn't great yeah um and yet we could have probably made it good but i i'm really glad i got great instead yeah 
So, yeah. Awesome. Um, so I guess we might as well talk about our relationship now. Yeah. Um, leading on nicely from that. Um, so some people were asking about like deconstruction and how that's affected our relationship. Yeah. Um, how, so when we first got together, like you were just kind of like early, early into your deconstruction. Really. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, so I think that's a big factor is like. Yeah, we were in pretty different places. Yeah, very yeah. different places. And we and we continue to be in different places yeah. in, in many ways. Um but like how did you how did you perceive that or like what where were you at like going into a relationship like Um so um I think yeah, I think you <laughs> I remember like when we were first like dating and messaging you you were like you were testing the waters a lot, weren't you, to like see like Yeah. whether <laughs> um whether it could work as in with being with you know if, if you if someone like really fundamental had been with you like oh it would have been it bad it would have been really bad so um <laughs> i remember like on one of our first dates you were like i think we went to like this natural history museum and you were like oh so um i think the bible says that the jews were never in egypt or something like that. right <laughs> you were like just like throwing little things in there and i was like Oh my gosh. <laughs> but I didn't like, I didn't have like a total meltdown, but in my head I'm like, oh, well, what does that mean about the Bible? And like, <laughs> you definitely triggered a lot of my yeah. deconstruction. But I think um, I had already, like, so I'd grown up, I'd, I've been to a lot of different churches. Like, I grew up going to like Baptist churches, but then um, I went, I then kind of transitioned more to like um, more charismatic churches. And that's where I was at when I, um, when we got together, but, um, I'd also like studied philosophy at uni. Yeah. Um, and I think like I do have quite a natural, um, driving me to question things. So even, you know, at the church I was at already, I was asked, I was asking some questions about like certain things. I was like, well, that seems a bit weird or, you know, mm. um, but so I'd, I'd certainly doubted and I'd, I'd always like, you know, been like, oh, I've got these doubts. I need to try and find the answer, like get a book and, you know, search it out. Um, rather than just being like, oh okay like or just whatever um but I think I think for me it was it was the, the bible was a huge one yeah. for me and what was something that you really made me question which really was difficult because I think I'd always seen that as like the go-to before of like if there's like people saying oh well homosexuality homosexuality is right or it's wrong or I'm like well what does the bible say yeah um and then I think so, so having that as like, oh, well, maybe we can't use that as the ultimate authority or um, like, com you know, take it at, you know, 100% um, kind of as truth that that was like pulling the carpet out from under me. Um, yeah. And I found that really difficult emotionally um, because, yeah, I mean, I think it is. It was my whole world, really, like was yeah. was my faith and my relationship with God, like I'd, um, had a lot of struggles beforehand and, um, that was, you know, the thing that got me through it really, a huge part of it. Um, and, um, so yeah, it felt like it was not only taking away my beliefs, but also like my coping mechanisms, I suppose. Mm. Um, and, um, and you really helped me through that. Um, of like 
you know, I guess because you were further on the journey, I could say, well, Phil's okay at least. And also you knew a lot of people, you know, some of your friends were deconstructing as well. Mm. And so that was really helpful because I had, I wasn't alone in it. Um, And um, I think, um, yeah, like, so having that community um, and also having a church, like, um, which was so accepting because the church, when, because when I moved to Manchester to be with you, the, the church that you were part of was so was very um just really welcoming and loving and like everyone is welcome here, everyone is loved. It's not about at the time it wasn't like, oh this is you know, what do you believe? Do you sign up to this yeah. like um set of doctrines? It was just like, no, we love everyone. Um and that was really great. Um and um yeah, I think I think our relation in terms of our relationship, it was interesting, especially in the early days of things like, well, I'm like, well, we need to make sure we pray together, um, yeah. and you're like, oh, I don't really, not really into <laughs> that. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, there are a few things we had to figure out, um, yeah. and then, but then as my journey's progressed, now I don't see prayer in the same way at all, um, and you know, I think I think we've just, I feel like there's. Um, for me, a lot more freedom, um, and, um, yeah, I think our relationship, relationship's really great, and, and to be honest, probably a lot better for not having a lot of these Yeah, I would religious... not wish fundamental fill on you. Yeah. Like, God, yeah. that was not a fun yeah. person to be around. Yeah. I'm already probably not fun to be around sometimes, but, like, I can't <laughs> imagine being, like, stuck with me as a more fundamental person yeah yeah and i wouldn't want more fundamental till no neither would i like Um, yeah that doesn't sound fun either no um yeah so i think it's interesting isn't it and and it was like constantly figuring out like okay Mm. there's going to be compromise in this space right and so like Mm. you're like i'm still in a place where i kind of like want to pray and like i want to like have some sort of um you know you were much more um attracted to church than I was generally church wasn't something I was excited about it was something that I felt passionate about I want to be involved in a local church and trying to help them move Mm. in a healthy direction especially because the church we were a part of um the the leadership at the time was very open they wanted people that were deconstructing and going through shifts of faith and from a different perspective if people were gay they were like please come along we'd love to have you here like so in a very open and an inclusive position and i was really excited to be a part of that but i didn't like church services like i was constantly trying to change when i was in leadership i was like hey maybe we could do a week where we just kind of all discuss instead of like having a a worship set and then a sermon and then we have a prayer time like maybe we could just all sit and talk about what we believe about something like we could read a passage in the bible and discuss it or read a poem and discuss it um and and so things like that i was quite excited about but you probably were much more attracted to something like church than i was and it was like okay that's fine we can work that you wanted to pray more and i did and i was like Okay, it's not something I'm big into, but I can try. And I probably did really badly. I don't you did try. I really remember doing that very well. <laughs> we didn't try many times. No. After that, you were like, honestly, that's just making me more panicked. Uh, Hearing like, you prayer. Yeah. Pray is terrifying. <laughs> like, you have never been into music. Full I don't stop. Like music, yeah. Let alone worship music. Yeah. So, like... Road trip with me is sit in silence or talk for, like, eight hours. Yeah. Or listen to podcasts. Yeah. But never really listen to music. Unless it's Hamilton. <laughs> I do like Hamilton. Yeah, I like music that's got um, a very clear kind of, like, story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. No, it's it's just... Uh, it, 
it was just finding like where is this person at and how can I love them well in that place and you've had to do that for me just as much as I yeah. have you it's never been a thing of like oh well I'm further along in deconstruction right. and therefore I need to hold space yeah. for you and you know wait for you to catch up no not at all really yeah. at the same time you've constantly had to go oh my gosh like Phil is in a totally different space and I need to figure out how I can kind of help him and meet him yeah. somewhere in the middle as well yeah. so it's been very give and take but, yeah, on both definitely. parts for sure yeah um, and I think everyone goes through that to different degrees. And in some ways, it would have been really nice if we started deconstruction at the same time. And, yeah. you know, we could have gone through a lot of those things in the same way. But in other ways, it's been really nice that mm. we've, there's been a disconnect in the timeline mm. because, like you said, you've been able to look to, to where I'm at and go, oh, it's going to be okay, maybe. Mm. Um, or at least have friends and go, gosh, yeah. those friends are okay. Okay, that's fine. It's not so terrifying. Or maybe I can go, oh, that's a particular question you're worried about. Here's a podcast you could listen to. Yeah. Here's a book. Like maybe yeah. that might encourage you. That's my answer to everything, a book or a podcast. That, yeah. Another yeah. interesting uh, thing I think for me was that um, because I I just, I think in general, I really like having certainty. Mm. Like, and it just makes me feel safe um, and in control of, I'm like, oh, I know this is how it is. Um, and I remember like, particularly in those early days when I had a question of like, you know, well, is there a heaven or not? And I would, I would really take everything you said at such faith. Like, <laughs> you're the authority on this. You know everything because you're further on this. And you, you do talk with such, you know, you, you've read so much and you, you talk with such confidence. And um, <laughs> obviously now I've... <laughs> you've learned to like, t- I, I appreciate that most of this is bullshit. <laughs> yeah, but um, no, not bullshit, but like... Um, I think that was interesting, an interesting process for me of like learning that, learning to embrace uncertainty and yeah. mystery while also being like, oh, Phil has some really good thoughts on this, but it's not like he knows. Absolutely. At yeah. all. And, um, yeah. and half the time when I give you an answer, it's not what I even think. Yeah. It's just me going, oh, I've been thinking about this recently and this is quite an interesting idea. Yeah. Like, and I'm like, so here's, here's an answer. Like, I'm like, wouldn't that be interesting? And I can, I'm quite different to you where I engage with things quite intellectually, you yeah. engage with things quite emotionally. So if I can kind of go like, you're like, oh, what do you think about the afterlife? Like, Maybe there is no afterlife. I don't know. Like, that'd be interesting, wouldn't it? And, or what if there, what if we all are the same person, but we just, when we die, we, we, our consciousness is transferred into another person. I don't know. You know yeah. It's come up with like crazy philosophical, yeah. theological ideas. Um, and I can engage with that and be like, that's an interesting idea. Huh? Interesting. How would that work? And I can just play with that and it doesn't cause me to get scared or upset yeah. or whatever. Um, but for you, you, I mean, you study philosophy, you can engage yeah. intellectually. It's not, you're not smart. Yeah. It's that when you do, it has a very real emotional yeah. impact. And yeah. so it's not as easy for you to do that or to as just, fun to yeah, do that. Exactly. I'm like having a, internal crisis yeah so then in those kind of conversations early on when i was always aware yeah. of that i would have these kind of conversations because that's how i do the conversation yeah. like i'd be like oh maybe this maybe that maybe this Not and then i would you need a certain be like, answer you'd suddenly look over and i'm like in tears yes. <laughs> and you're like oh shit yeah, yeah exactly i've just like broke tilly yeah um yeah i mean so it, there was constantly figuring out what people need because i think as well that was a I mean, I, I do this day in, day out, help people deconstruct, yeah. but it was a whole nother level of real, being so close to someone yeah. as they did it, realizing people deconstruct differently. Yeah. People are deconstructing different things in different ways and yeah. they need different yeah. tools and answers along the way yeah. 
that help them in their worldview and their need for safety or certainty or rationality or whatever it is that they're needing in that time. Mm. I think that really helped having someone so close to me go through this. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it helps it you maybe to understand what people go through more. Yeah, and, and empathise with it on yeah. a whole other level. I yeah. mean, a lot of my friends have gone through this. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the church that we were a part of, a huge yeah. portion of that church ended up deconstructing... Um, and uh, yeah, walking alongside a lot of them helped a lot as well in that empathizing on a whole nother level. Because mm. it's, it's one thing to like meet someone when you travel and talk to them or talk to people mm-hmm. on Instagram or Facebook or something. Like that's that's helpful. Mm. And it's beautiful. And, and, I, and I absolutely love that. But it's a lot harder to emphasize, emphasize, empathize with someone over a text yeah. than it is to try and talk to a best friend as they weep right next to you because right. they're losing god or you know, yeah. you're like oh my god this is like way more emotional than that text i sent you and i was having the same conversation <laughs> with this guy called greg or you know like that was a different conversation yeah, yeah. Um, but that's probably how greg felt yeah you just so, didn't weren't aware of this no and it's, yeah, in my defense it's hard to pick that up on a on a yeah a, a text yeah without some emojis yeah. <laughs> yeah should we talk about about church and yeah let's do it like, i know we, we have talked about church yeah. but particularly like um you know, over, over the last few years, like being part of, you know, we were part of that church. And um, how did you find that um, being being part of the church whilst deconstructing and yeah. being a leader as well? Like, yeah. how did you find that? Uh, tricky at times, for sure. Yeah. Like, I think there's different thoughts on how people should engage with church i get one of the most common questions i get mm. asked is should i be leaving my church like i'm deconstructing mm. should i leave my church mm. and like we know that 32 percent of people that deconstruct are still going to church and that number drops off as time goes on right so as time goes on as people mature in their deconstruction they're less likely to be attending church um but people still do attend church like people that have been deconstructing for years decades mm. even mm. still go to church mm. some of them you know 10 15 of them are still attending at least yeah. once a week um, I think it's really important that people contextualize where they're at and look at their life individually and go, what's going on? People that have trauma wrapped up right. in church, pain, real suffering, uh, maybe one day it might be healthy for you to go to church, but right now you probably need to distance from church and heal mm. and prioritize that. So I say that before I say where I was at yeah. because I don't want people to build a think model they, out right. of what, yeah. where I was at. But for me, I really felt I wanted to... Um, be a part of seeing can church change can we evolve and grow and is there space for church to become something more beautiful more inclusive more loving than than what it has been in the past and of course we were so lucky that the church i was a part of was phenomenal it was a really inclusive and loving place and 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 it's amazing in, in a lot of ways and um, the leadership there really loved me. They really accepted me. They they really gathered around me and my journey, my vision, what I wanted to do. They really, um, even when they didn't understand what I was doing, it was really hard. I mean, I've had many conversations mm. with them going, I don't get what you're mm. doing. Can you help? When they did kind of have, even the fact they would have that conversation, they want me to help them understand me. Not they don't understand, they want me to change. That was never on the table from the from the pastors there. Um, they were always going we really believe in you and what we love what you're doing and how you're trying to help people and we want you to be a part of our community we want you to speak into our community. we want you to be on the senior leadership team and help like shape what that mm. looks like um you know that that was part of that process 
Um, and so that was beautiful. And I really loved that. And I do think we saw amazing changes. And I think that's why a lot of people in that church ended up deconstructing and, and eventually stepping outside of the church um, was because they felt safe and had a safe space to do so. The challenge was a lot of people in that church weren't interested in deconstructing. And that made it really complex because you had this very broad spectrum of people in a very different place. Um, and so you're looking from spiral dynamics, you're looking from blue all the way through to green, maybe even yeah. some yellow. Yeah. There's a whole spectrum there of very different worldviews, very different ways of engaging with faith. And what's happening is as you keep that open for everyone, it's beautiful and great, but it's actually really scary for people that are at yeah. um, earlier stages that are looking for very different expressions of faith. They want something mm. a bit more um, black and white, a bit more fundamental, yeah. maybe a bit more exclusive. Um, and I know a lot of those terms have negative connotations, but they could be mm. very positive based on where you are. And so yeah. I'm not even saying that's a negative thing. Yeah. Um, and so at times it was really challenging and really difficult. And you know me, I was constantly walking a tightrope of like, how do I love people where they're at? How do I be authentic to myself? I'm not I'm not being uh, uh, disingenuous or, or lying or not being myself, but I am being careful with how I say that. I yeah. am being careful with who I present certain things to or how I present certain things to certain people and um, if I'm going to share a message I'm going to do it very carefully still yeah. nine times out of ten <laughs> cause problems for some people yeah um, but I actually did I put hours I mean I put mm. dozens of hours a week into mm. um, loving that community well investing in that community um, doing what I could um, long term it changed so the this the pastors that were there they stepped down and moved on and the church leadership structure shifted quite substantially to a kind of more mm. conventional um, uh, kind of mindset. Yeah, um, I think I think the difficulty was that there were just such polar opposites of groups of people in that church with such yeah. different needs. Like it, it's, it would have been, you know, whenever you met the needs of the people that were deconstructing in that church by having maybe a, a, an open discussion about um, the afterlife or whatever. Right. Other people are like freaking out, freaking out, and needing like counselling, you yeah. know. So, but then if you're meeting their needs, then the people deconstructing are feeling like, oh, we we're not being heard, we can't be ourselves. So it was, it was really, yeah, quite impossible to very hard to keep everyone well, very hard at least to keep yeah. everyone happy. So I do really empathise with you know. It, I just think it would have been impossible to please yeah. everyone, and I think it was probably the healthy choice. I mean, along the way. Um, we bounced around and we, mm. we really were torn about how to be involved mm. and how to um, what even future church might look like um, for that community um, but I think along the way it came to the point where it was there was a group of people that had moved on in their faith and their, their the way they excuse me the way they framed their spirituality that honestly if there wasn't a church they'd be okay yeah. They'd be absolutely fine. Yeah. So yes, they'd like church to exist in, in that space and, and they'd like it to be a certain way. But even if it didn't exist, they'd be okay. Yeah. Whereas this other group, their faith was intrinsically woven mm. into this church. And this without church, church and this specific church being a specific mm. way even. Um, and so there was an element of like, actually, probably the healthiest thing that could happen for that church is for that to be the thing that, that mm. it kind of structured around. And, and that's what naturally happens. Yeah. Um, and I think after that, we kind of talked with the leadership. I, I had meetings with the leadership and said, look, where are you at? Like, it feels like that's the direction you're moving. Are you trying? 
Uh, are, is your goal to move back into a place of a bit more certainty, a bit more kind of black and white, kind of like this mm. is where we're at? And they were like, yeah, that's really what we're looking at. And I was like, I think that's the right decision, um, which is fascinating. I think a lot of people listening to this will be like, what? Shocked, yeah. Um, but I think when you understand things like spiral dynamics, mm. when you understand things like human development, and you realize mm. that certain people are not going to go from A to mm. N. They mm. need to go to A to B. Mm. Um, and then on to C. And the fact that I'm at N doesn't mean that N's the end, right? We're all right. moving towards Z. So even then, it's not even that thing. Yeah. And then even then, it's not this hierarchy that ends better than A. Right. Even. It's all a journey, right? A baby is not yeah. worse than a toddler. And a yeah. toddler is not worse than a teenager. And yeah. a teenager is not worse than an old person. Yeah. These are just different stages of being a human. Yeah. Um, and so I think recognizing, oh, there's people at a different stage than me and they need something different. And actually, I can get what I need somewhere else. And it's really unfair for me to be constantly trying to um, drag people into a place where they're not ready and actually it's causing them pain and suffering. So I think on the whole, um, I think a lot of people were upset. A lot of people got hurt. Like, of course, yeah. in any kind of church relationships, mm. that's quite natural and um, inevitable mm. but i think on the whole it was the right thing that happened and it was the right thing for us certainly to kind of transition out of that i mean even uh, as much as a year and a half two years before then i was already i'd kind of stepped out of quite a few yeah. leadership roles um and certainly by that point i'd stepped out of all leadership roles because i had already kind of said to the church like look i'm very publicly being yeah. this person even the fact that i was very publicly posting about deconstruction about the church globally mm. that's such a problematic component where you're trying to be very sensitive to someone in person so you go yeah. to a church where they're and this person is very conventional very conservative very rigid in their beliefs i can sit down with them and have a great chat all day and mm. i can talk to them i can pray for them i can encourage them i can give them a bible verse i can you know engage with them where they're at but then they go home and they have me on twitter and they see me tweet like, yeah. you know, X, Y, Z, the church, yeah. you know, they're going, he thinks that about my church. Yeah. I'm like, no, not necessarily. Maybe at yeah. times, but yeah. generally I'm talking about Christianity. My yeah. audience is different. My conversation yeah. is about a different thing. It was very hard to navigate those components as well mm -hmm. of being very publicly helping people that were transitioning away from that kind of uh, life. And being day in, day out with people that were still in that place, it caused a lot of tension for a lot of people that couldn't understand that there was a line there and a, and a different world. And yeah. also what I'm talking about to a group of people is not necessarily what I would say to every person. Or It, yeah. was, it was complex at times for sure. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, I'm just aware that... Um... We haven't. I feel like I'm getting mixed up between different podcasts. But I, know. I feel like as we move on, thing, though, surely we're definitely. Uh, yeah, no. I was just thinking from... about. Um, we haven't massively. I don't know. Maybe we don't need to talk about it. But um, you're kind of with your your own. Just how your ministry changed, I suppose, because yeah. you were very much into the grace teaching, kind of quite Christian, a Christian message, yeah. like a, a controversial Christian message, but nevertheless a Christian message. Yeah. And then do you want to talk about when that changed? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think that was... <sighs> Sorry, we're going a little bit back in no, the timeline here, we're but I just realised right we haven't really... No, it's good. Um, it's a good memory as well. I, I think, yeah, the grace thing was very... I mean, it was just a, a natural conclusion of just continually seeking out the truth, mm. trying to figure out what is true 
And the more I dove into things, the more I researched things, I was like, God, oh, the Bible does say this. It doesn't say that. And, um, and so naturally I found other people that were saying similar things. I came across similar people like John Crowder, Joseph Prince, C. Baxter Kruger. It was a lot of people that were talking about this. Um, but it's still at a very fundamental stage of my mm. life. I was still looking for the right answer. And that movement is very fundamental. It's very black and white mm. and, and, and uh, dualistic in the way it approaches things. Um, it's funny because it, it, it's very, oh, it's inclusive. It's, you know, it's open. It's, mm. it's not about legalism. Mm. But it's very legalistic in a lot of ways. Um, you know, they, they are obsessed with the Bible. You talk about yeah. the Bible in that way and it's like, oh, yeah. don't go there or, you know, like whatever. It might be homosexuality. I mean, I don't know anyone in the mm. grace movement that's uh, affirming of homosexuality. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are people, but mm. I am I was probably one of the only people I knew when mm. I was in that position. Mm. Um, and so that was just um, kind of a natural kind of, it was probably the last stage of me being very black and white. And I think it was probably the most extreme of my black and white in some mm. ways. And I think that's just naturally how it happens. We hit these ceilings where we suddenly realize, gosh, these black and white positions aren't, they don't work all the time. Mm. It's not, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting the end of this and I'm realizing, gosh, there's a lot of gray in here. There's a lot of complexity in here. Um, the more I look at this historically, it doesn't add up. Um, and so, yeah, I think I started to realize that some of the things I was looking at um, were just much more gray. There was a lot more nuance in there than I than I was afforded. And and I think a lot of it was interacting with people as I traveled and spoke to people and realizing these conversations were much more rich and deep and more um, rubber hits the road as well. Like when you're just in the head and you're just yeah. reading this as a Bible verse and you're applying it to your life, it's nice and simple. And when you start talking to people and meeting hundreds and thousands of people as you travel and realizing, gosh, this actually might not work for that person who is, you know, it's, yeah. it's like the healing thing, right? You believe in healing. Yeah. And, oh yeah, healing works all the time and it's great. And that's great for uh, Bill Johnson that travels and sees a healing, at least two or three healings every time he yeah. goes into a, a service. But if you have a mother who's dying of cancer right. and you're sitting with her for a year straight and she doesn't get healed and then dies, that is a different kind of experience of healing than going mm. to a healing service every day mm. where someone got healed even if it wasn't the person you mm. prayed for you saw someone get healed that's going to be very encouraging and and spur on that belief and help you be at least be a little bit cognitive dissonance of like yeah it works um, you can forget the times it didn't because you saw so many yeah. times it did um i think those are the kind of things that i was experiencing was just like realizing gosh there's so much gray in this mix um yeah, I think traveling really mm. opened me up to that a lot. And and having an online um, space, an online ministry, it exposed me. So many people started sending me messages and people that are attracted to online spaces are usually people that can't find a local space. So they were starting to have problems with their church, their local church and things like that. And so they were starting to message me and go, like, what do you think about this? Should I leave my mm. church? Like, do you believe this? Do you believe that? I used to believe this, but I'm not so sure. And I'm starting to go, yeah, I'm not so sure about a lot of this either. Um, a lot of the time I was in the grace message, I was, I, I deconstructed yeah. as well. And it was just the mechanism of which I worked. Um, I still mm. did that, but, um, it, but in terms of your ministry though, it was quite, uh, it was quite a change, wasn't it? When you yes. started, do you want to talk about when you kind of yeah. started to actually kind of come out the closet in a yeah, sense yeah. of like, Oh, maybe I don't actually agree with all these things. Yeah. Or... I think that was a big thing. So I probably for like, gosh, three or four or five years, maybe mm. I had not really been able to be open fully about where I was at because I had like 
tens of thousands of people on Twitter and Facebook. Right. I hadn't really started Instagram at this point, but they were following me and mm-hmm. they were mostly conventional Christians, maybe mostly engaging with grace message. Yeah. And I am in a place where I'm like, oh, I am affirming of homosexuality. I don't believe in yeah. eternal conscious torment. I don't believe in a, yeah. you know, this, that, X, Y, or Z. It was all sorts of different things I'd been constructed. But I'm like, okay, what will people be able to handle? How do I start moving that? How, maybe I start talking about the Bible and different ways to read the Bible so that at some point people start to realize, oh gosh, I'm being very black and white about the Bible and actually mm. that's not the best way to engage with it. And so like just figuring out these like little baby, baby steps, steps, but it's a very, oh, it's just a very hard place to live a lot of the time. Like, yeah. you know me, I mean, I spend sometimes 12 plus hours a day working on these things and having these conversations and writing and chatting with people. And it's, it's hard work when you can be yourself. It's, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, it's a whole nother level when yeah. you're having to do this intellectual dance of like, where is this person? How how are they placed in life? And what are they looking for? And what do they need? And how can I help them on their journey without pushing them too far, but not just settling for where they are because I know they need to mm. grow and help. And like, that was a constant juggle. And, and it got to the point where I realized uh, there had been a season of about five, six years where I wanted to just take people baby step bit by bit because I realized if I just came out as where I was, everyone would walk away. Mm. Um, but it got to the point where the pain point for me was like, I just have to be me. I need to just be authentically, not that it wasn't authentic before. I was honest. I was authentic. I just shaped things in a way that helped other people that I wouldn't have said that that way to my best mm. friend or to you or, you know, like I would have been a bit more candid or mm. said it a bit little more rough or um, to the point. But realizing that's just really just getting tiring. And, and I remember old. as well, you really, you felt strongly, particularly about the homosexuality thing of yeah. like w- wanting to actually be like, no, this is my stance on this. Yeah. I don't want to have to sort of um, pretend or not make, not even... Just sit not on the fence, yeah, you know? Yeah, you yeah. felt like you wanted Because it was the thing of like, uh, it's, it's such a complex thing because we have to understand that change takes time and people grow in stages and bit by bit by bit. And like, I want my toddler mm. to be able to do algebra. Mm. But you I mean, you're a tutor, right? Mm-hmm. What age can <laughs> you start teaching algebra, right? You struggle at yeah. 11 if they're really right. smart sometimes, yeah. you know? So we're not teaching the toddler algebra. Yeah. I need to start teaching it just math, yeah. even just one plus one, even yeah. numbers is a big jump for a toddler. And so, you know, like it's recognizing, okay, that might be where I'd like to get to. And that might be where I'm at lucky if I can do algebra but I can do affirming of gay people so <laughs> I can do yeah. that but recognizing you look at someone that's very conventional mm. they're looking for safety certainty security they're looking to the bible as an authority their past authority they see the, the homosexuality is an absolute end of conversation conversation so for me I'm like for a long time I was like I I don't want to um jump out there and go I affirm homosexuality and then have 10,000 15,000 people not because I'm about numbers mm. but because I might be able to get all of them to a place where they are from mm. homosexuality if I have time and, time and if I can do it yeah. slowly and I can start to tweak how they look at a Bible, yeah. what is their view of God, how do they understand authority and, and, and scripture. Like, give me enough time and maybe, I mean, realistically, mm. I'd maybe get a thousand of ten, yeah. or, you know, who knows. But my point was, I can make these people, I can help these people get to that place. But if I come out and go, hey, everyone, I have from homosexuality. I've lost them all overnight yeah. at a certain point when yeah. they were very conventional. Yeah. And so I, I, 
and and that's not to give excuses of like you know yeah. I, I would I would genuinely prefer to be um, openly affirming much earlier, and I wish I had in a lot of really? ways, yeah. um, because at the end of the day, I don't really care. Yeah. Like I, I really, on some level, I don't care what those people think of yeah. me. Yeah. Um, and there's much more hurt. Uh, mm. Gosh, I'm not as hurt as just the average gay person right. just not being affirmed. Jeez, yeah. they need as many people as possible to stand yeah. up and say, "No, yeah. you are loved. You are accepted just as you are. You're valuable, and God loves you." Mm. Like pe- that is a a huge need that they're not hearing. Yeah. Plenty of people are hearing some homophobic shit, right? I mean, that's not a, a shortage yeah. in the church. That message. Um, and yet on another side, I was like, but I want to help some of these people change. I changed from being a homophobic Mm, piece of shit. mm, I changed from being mm -hmm. non-affirming to being affirming. What if some of those people were me? And I know if I'd shown up to my teenage self that was passionate about the Bible at 17 or something and said, God affirms homosexuality, I'd have said, fuck off, you know, get out of here. You're an idiot. Um, and so it's such a complex thing because we, we have to figure this out. We have yeah. to take people on the journey. And so, yeah, but uh, that was a huge point for me was at a certain point, I was just like, I'm, I'm done not being able to live in this undercover life. I felt, I felt like a spy. Yeah. I felt like someone that was inclusive, that was done with the church's racism and sexism and homophobia and all these things. Mm. And yet when I'm not going to speak out about these things, instead... I'm going to go undercover into churches, into the Christian (laughs) realm and try and slowly sow seeds that grow so that people can become also fed up with these things and outspoken. And I think there's a real need for that. I think that we do do need people Mm. that do that. I think we absolutely do. And I think you did do a lot of good in that. I don't don't mean to feel like you failed in that, you know, in your, because the church didn't end up becoming what you might have hoped it to be doesn't mean that people didn't no. individually progress in their journey. Well, there's people listening to this podcast yeah. and watching this video yeah. that are people that came on the journey right. with me. And yeah. I was probably a component of that. Yeah. No question. I was yeah. in at some part, something I did was maybe yeah. helpful in them coming on that journey. Yeah. A lot of people aren't listening to this podcast because I did come yeah. out and that's okay. Like, yeah. I'm like, you know what? At the end of the day, it is what it is. Um, I maybe would have done it a bit earlier but I, I think there was, uh, in other ways, I'm okay with, mm. with the, 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 the time I spent undercover in yeah. Christianity. Yeah. Um, but I'm so thankful not to be now. Like yeah. I, I'm like, gosh, it feels so freeing, so relaxing. Yeah. I can be exactly what I want. I can say what I want. I can do what I want. Yeah. Um, and I still make the same mistakes or lots of new mistakes. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm free. It's, 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 it's yeah. just a real relaxing kind of thing. And so we were really intentional with how we came about it as well. There was, there was real practical concerns as well. You were training to be a teacher at the time and we were living off of my income, which is not an income. Like it's very little. Mm. Um, we, we really were like yeah. quite down the wire. In fact, it's only because you had some savings that we really kind yeah. of made it through that season. And so the fact that I put out a whole series on homosexuality and, and different things that you know, very much coming out and going, hey, I'm deconstructing. This is different ways to see things. I'm affirming homosexuality. We knew that would massively cut into our income. Mm. And and so even that was a factor where it was like, well, I don't want to live on the street and I don't want you to live on the street for <laughs> yeah. two months. So let's wait two months and time it so that you start as a teacher right. and have some income. Yeah. Um, and so even those practicalities, and yeah. I think this is the thing when we talk about people coming out as deconstructing, 
there's no shame in not doing that straight mm. away. You need to figure out yeah. what's right for you. You need Absolutely. to figure out what's safe for you. Some yeah. people are in their teens and they're living in at home with their family. If it's not safe for you, this is like when you come out if you're gay. Yeah. If it's not right for you, no one there's no pressure or shame yeah. for not coming out. Yeah. And you have to figure out what's safe because sometimes God, if it's not safe for deconstructing people to come out, right. it's definitely not safe sometimes for people that are lesbian or gay or yeah. bi or trans like, or whatever. Like I've I mean, not really yeah. come out to a, to a lot of people, you know, like... Hi, everyone. Hi, hi Tilly's <laughs> just, mom. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, like, this is probably the most public I've been yeah. in it. Um, because, yeah, it, there's some people I'm just like... Some people I'm like, they just don't need to know and it's not going to be helpful yeah. for them as well. Yeah. Well, you know? I think of like grandparents or right. things like that. Yeah. They, they're not going to watch a podcast. They're not yeah. going to... Um, come on these things but generally speaking it's really going to cause them distress they're probably yeah. not going to change between now and when they die x yeah. amount of time so why cause them such suffering when you can just come alongside and go hey how are you doing oh yes i i i'm also praying for you or you know say something like that like mm. doesn't kill them and i am i'm sending out all my good vibes and thoughts yeah. and energies and yeah like you know like whatever like you know like it's yeah. like I, i'll work with where you're at because yeah. it's not important I, I don't you don't need to come out to that grandparent that's on there there's some people were like my my parents were on their well, my my mum was on their deathbeds and have i done wrong by not telling Aww. her where i was really at and i was like honestly you probably did the right thing yeah like that's the last thing you need when you're dying yeah. is like a whole nother level yeah. of like, oh no I'm freaking out about my son no. but also in saying that if you've done that maybe that's the right yeah. thing as well it, I just think yeah this is a not formula, like a is rule it? about it yeah yeah um I kind of need to go to the loo let's Can pause we just have yeah, a yeah. pause okay I'm back welcome back do you have a good pee I did excellent I feel a bit relieved now yeah um okay so um what well, one thing we've not touched on really yet is family particularly yeah um so some people asking about how your family have mm. reacted to your deconstruction yeah they all um have refused to talk to me for the last 10 years no Don't lie. um to be honest with you, like we talked about this in uh, the first half of the podcast like um my family were very open like and and pretty chill with how each of us kind of engaged with the concept of spirituality. I think there was an expectation we would all be Christian. And um, like, I think that was just a natural kind of like, mm. thing, obviously. Um, but I think on the whole, like as time's gone on, I think my parents also became even more open and flexible um, just internally in their own kind of like faith. Um, and that's reflected in how they interacted with us. My mom's passed now, but I think she certainly became more open and uh, progressive um, even leaning towards like affirming homosexuality and things towards yeah. the end. And, and so like, um, she had quite a few friends that were like, um, she had quite a few lesbian friends and she had a trans friend. And so like, you know, she, I think life got on my mom and kind of helped her grow and develop, um, in some of those areas, um, and challenged her in those areas. Yeah. And she just had like a lot of compassion for everyone, didn't she? She did. Like she just loved, she loved anyone on the mm. outside. I think yeah. she really took the, um, the compassionate component of Christianity of mm. looking to the other and yeah. loving them as yeah. God. Yeah. Like that person in front of me, I don't care if they're trans, if they're gay, if they're white, if they're black, that person is God. Yeah. And I need to love them. Yeah. Um, and so even when she didn't have a framework or understanding, she just loved mm. them really well. Um, and I think my dad did that in, in many beautiful ways as well. Um, and so I think they, they, automatically kind of like were positioned to just love me well 
throughout this process. I think it's only really in my period of being very open about deconstruction publicly that they probably would have seen that. Um, and I think really my mum probably never fully saw to what degree I deconstructed before she passed. I do think she probably would have been very supportive of it on, on many levels. I mean, she wrote little notes of like um, to each of the, the children when she passed and like just like whatever and and in that note I can't remember word for word by any means I should have looked it up um but she says like you know she's like I love how you challenge the norm you question things you're helping people that um you know need to ask questions and you know you tenaciously go after that and you're authentic and I love how authentic you are never stop being authentic Mm. to what you believe um and so I think I like to think she's a wherever she is looking on and and proud Mm. of like how I keep doing that yeah um it's hard to say which would it be uncomfortable for her where i'm at in my faith the conversations i have i know it's uncomfortable for my dad at times he listens to some of his podcasts i'm sure he'll have listened to this one um and so hey Hi, um, but uh even then he's still like oh i don't really get that you had that person you had on the podcast is a bit odds but like you know it's interesting or whatever so like even for my dad he's he's got space for that and i think that speaks really well of just how mm. they've always engaged with spirituality has yeah. been yeah. very open even though internally they've lived very convicted of what they believe. Yeah. Um, and my family, I, my, one of my brothers and my sister um, are maybe more traditional, a bit more conservative uh, or conventional, um, but still very open, have a lot of space, have their own questions and doubts yeah. and things like that. And then the other one and, and his wife, he's been on this podcast, Neil and his wife, Jesse, that they have deconstructed their faith and are kind of figuring it out as they go. And so there's a bit of a mix anyway in the, in the family. Um, so we've just, we've kind of like, we don't really go there as much anymore either. Like ever since yeah. you've known me, we've not really had very, um, spiritual conversations in our family i think because my mum was the person that that circled around and ever since you kind of came into that uh that nucleus she was very ill and and we just didn't really have those kind of um, spaces and conversations and so generally we connect a lot more around a whole host of different things just where we're at is individuals life you know they've got kids now a lot of my brothers and it's just like it's a yeah. different world for everyone. Different conversations happen. Sometimes no conversation happens at all. It's just trying just, to like yeah. <laughs> deal with the Chase kids. Chase after and, the children yeah. and your brother. Um, yeah. So yeah, so it's, it's just lots going on yeah. in, in my family. But um, yeah, we, we just love each other and do life well. And, and I've been really lucky as well that really, um, as far as things go, generally speaking, my family are not the closest people to me. They, they live six hours mm. away, five and a half hours away. I see them every now and then. Mm. I've not even seen them once this year because of COVID. But yeah. usually I see them a few times a year. Um, but what has become my family, my, the closest people to me, is, is this community here in yeah. Manchester. And we are really close and we really hold space for each other exactly where we are. We do have the deep conversations and things like that. Um, and so it's not like I can't have those with my family or I, I don't want to or I don't have those conversations. I do. Um, but they're not the go-to support system I have yeah. for working out my spirituality and my faith. Yeah. And that's really what happens in this space with you, with my friends. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I'm very lucky in that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. And even with your family as well, you know, like I think the fact your family um, grew up um, kind of more Baptist, but your parents converted to um, Catholicism, Catholic, yeah. Uh, Catholicism. Yeah. There's quite a mix in your yeah. wider family. There's Church of England, kind of Anglican, kind of, mm. you know, there's, there's different backgrounds. Mm. And I think there's a lot of space for people to be slightly different in yeah. their approach. Yeah. I think it's remarkable they're so inclusive of me. 
Um, yeah. I think it speaks to my winning charm. Um, yeah, and I think they don't <laughs> look too carefully yeah, at what and you post. They probably and don't stuff. look too carefully. Um, hopefully, the fact that you're on this doesn't mean that they uh, watch and suddenly go, oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, I think that they've been remarkable as well. And, and I think part of this is um, in the UK, we're a bit more reserved. We sometimes don't go. Uh, a lot of places we sometimes do kind of go let's not go there mm. because it will be a problem and we'd rather keep everything smooth and simple yeah. but i think a lot of it as well in the uk and in europe as a whole is that a lot of our culture has deconstructed in a time where deconstruction wasn't really an option it just literally was if you stop being a christian you become an atheist yeah. or an agnostic yeah um these days it's a bit more complex because we've got this global kind of playing field and we can have these kind of complex conversations with nuance but back then i mean if you look at the uk the majority of the uk is atheist now yeah it's not christian yeah um and and or at least a blend of atheism and agnosticism yeah and so like when we were growing up as kids most of our friends would have been atheists or agnostic. Yeah. They probably didn't even think about this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, whereas in America, you grew up, it's, it's still very Christian. There's yeah. a lot of Christian kind of components. So families expect Christianity. It's much more of a betrayal of culture and, or, or at least there's not really a practice of interacting with people of different faith and, and things like that to that level. Maybe, maybe like a church of Christ guy can talk to a, you know, a, a I don't know, a progressive <laughs> Christian, but we're still all Christian, right? We're still yeah. on the same page. In the UK, I think it was really common, like our parents would have spent a lot of time talking to people that don't have a Christian faith. Yeah. And and so I think on some level, there's a component of we we recognize, in America, it fascinates me, but um, did you know that the, um, was it atheists were, um, they scored as l less trustworthy than pedophiles. Wow. On a on a scale of no, trustworthiness. That's Isn't mental. that mental? And they, they were the number one untrustworthy. They were less trustworthy than murderers and rapists oh as well. It was just it was really and so it's but it's yeah. this mentality of like, well, there's nothing worse wow. than atheists. Yeah, now, so that's totally different. To us then. in Europe, yeah. we like laugh hysterically because yeah. we're like, Well, most of the people I know are atheists yeah. and they're really nice people. Yeah. Um and so I think as a culture we have come to a place where people that have different beliefs if they're not we think they're wrong and they're idiots how, mm. how could they not be christian obviously they're missing the truth mm. but we don't think of them as bad people no. or we don't see it as a, a deep threat to our existence yeah. Uh, yeah. some christians can be like that i think yeah. and actually i think it's getting more like that as it becomes a bit more radicalized um but i do think there's different cultural components in that that we are very fortunate in this sense to yeah. be deconstructing in europe yeah um where there's more space for people well not europe for much longer less, well yeah um <laughs> yeah at least continental yeah uh, or not continental but like um uh, geographic. geographic yeah 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 so i think that that's all we need to say about family and okay things like that, i think right tick um <laughs> we're getting through the list yeah again we're nearly there, we're nearly there. <laughs> Um, okay, so one person was asking about psilocybin, mm. magic mushrooms. Magic um, mushrooms. Has that helped your deconstruction? Yeah, I think, um, of course, like with something like this, like it's a it's a really complex conversation. It's a really hard conversation for a lot of Christians because Christians can be so black and white about these kind of things. Um, but I think that for me, the research has been overwhelming around um, psilocybin. It's just been legalized in half the, like a whole bunch of states in America. And, yeah. and we're really seeing a lot of progress because these are extremely useful tools. They're extremely useful drugs, uh, medicines to help people with anxiety, with depression, um, coming to end of life to deal with the, the concept mm. of I might die. Mm. Like it's incredible seeing um, uh, the data, I think coming out of um, mostly um, John Hopkins um, on people that are dying taking psilocybin and not having a fear of death anymore 
the, the, the percentages, a significant percentage of people that do it don't fear their death anymore. I would like if I was dying to not fear dying, right? I mean, that seems like a great yeah. uh, thing to, compo- to, to, yeah. to do. Um, and so, like, there's all this stuff coming out about how helpful they are. What's interesting is, and it's not as studied, um, but actually it's a much older practice, older than all of these, is that psilocybin has been used as early as we know involved in in the practice of spirituality long before any of our modern religions you know judaism or christianity or any of these existed people were using psilocybin and other hallucinogenics as Mm. spiritual teachers things Mm -hmm. to teach them and and allow them to grow and maybe part of that is interwoven with depression and anxiety and different things but um i think that's a fascinating component that has always kind of um intrigued me um, and I, you know me, I don't do anything by halves. And so um, for me, that's been something like, I want to dive into that. I, I live with chronic pain um, and, and that's a dynamic in my life that I've, I've navigated. There's huge data on psilocybin being very helpful for chronic pain. I can be anxious and be a bit depressed at times. I, I definitely struggled with that on and off. And I'm like, wow, great. I would love to explore this. Um, of course, these things aren't as available everywhere yeah Yeah. and so like it's not as black and white and it's not as simple as as maybe picking up um some meds for i don't know a period pain oh take an ibuprofen and you know an aspirin or whatever um we don't have that availability yet but that that is that is getting there um but for me psilocybin has been a really helpful um teacher when i have taken psilocybin um which i will leave as an exclusively um, vague, uh, mm. a, a very obviously vague timeline mm. uh, but when I have done it um, it's been extremely helpful for me probably the most significant spiritual moments of my life wow. have been the times I've taken psilocybin yeah. um, and it has been largely because it has unraveled the way I see things it's unraveled the the stories that I've constructed and so much meaning has gone into those stories without realizing these are stories I've just kind of agreed with maybe i didn't make them up maybe society around me's made them up or whatever but but that's a story you know look at my divorce with uh, sarah and it's like i have this story that like to be successful you have to be married or if you're divorced people will think you're unsuccessful and won't like you and i'm like that's a story that i bought i maybe even made a lot of that story up but it's a, it's a story it's just a made-up idea mm-hmm. marriage is a made-up idea divorce is a made-up idea we just agree on that idea and it becomes a thing um and so when you start to step back from that story and you go, well, is, it, is that true? Is it true that if you get divorced, people will like you less? It turns out, actually, people liked me a bit more. <laughs> some really conservative Christians sent me some horrible, horrible things. Mm. Absolutely, that happened. But the vast majority of people actually lent in. Mm. And they were like, gosh, I feel more empathy for you. Gosh, I, you're more human to me. And, and I was more open and more vulnerable. I was more broken. It broke me open. Um, and so there's something about when our stories devolve um, and, and, and break apart that psilocybin does so well and even some of the more profound stories you know we talk about deconstruction and losing our spirituality i mean these are the kind of story breaking moments that really change us and and profoundly shape us um and and what psilocybin does probably better than anything i know and and you can get to these places without uh, medicinal Mm. help you can do it through meditation contemplation and different things you can do it through breathing exercises and different things um De- sensory deprivation there's all sorts of techniques and i've done most of those as well because I-, I love trying things I- i'm an experimenter um but psilocybin it kind of just goes all right 
how about I just do this for you with very little interaction on your part? It's very much, it's a, it's a, it feels like a shortcut in a sense. Um, and I'm not saying that to say that it's a good idea. It can be a really mm. scary shortcut, right? Mm. Sometimes the shortcut looks like driving off a cliff. That's the quick yeah. way to the bottom. You might not like the trip. Yeah. Um, no pun intended there. Um, so, so you wouldn't recommend it to everyone then? Definitely not to no. everyone. Not at all. Um, I think it's something that people have to research and think about mm. carefully and consider, am I in a place where that's healthy? Because the big story that it de has deconstructed for me, uh, probably three or four times this has happened in different ways. And sometimes it's been profound and uh, wonderful and quite prof like uh, light. But that was, I think, once. I think the other times it was utterly terrifying mm. is breaking apart the story of who is Phil and what mm. is this thing that you're calling mm. Phil and what is this idea that you are a person, you are a thing. Like you, you, this is just a, like an idea that we grab onto and we give credibility to. And, mm. and so this is what they talk about with ego death. Richard Rohr talks about this as the second journey of life. You know, right. he talks about the first journey of life is we start as a, babies don't have an ego. They don't yeah. know they're a thing and they don't know anyone else is a thing. And it's only over time they become a thing and you become something separate. And over time we grow this concept of Phil or Tilly <laughs> Um, and, and we grow that. And then at some point we start to realize, what the hell am I doing? What the fuck is this? And is this even a story I want to be a part of? And so in the second half of life, we start to take that story apart and reevaluate who am I and what am I about and what do I want to be doing in this world and what purpose do I have? And do I believe the stories around me and the culture around me? And, and that's the story of deconstruction. Um, big shout out to the book Falling Upwards if people are wanting mm, to read about Richard that journey. Roll, it's yeah. great. It's also good for if you want to go to sleep, right? You found the audiobook very helpful. <laughs> Um, sorry, Richard, if you're listening to this, but he's, Tilly he has, loves your voice. He has a very soothing voice. It's also a very <laughs> profound message, but yeah, good, good voice. <laughs> I remember you saying that. Like, I really want to get into this book and I'm trying. It's so good. But every time I listen to it, I just fall. Yeah. To be fair, you, were listening to, you listen to audiobooks at night, don't you? So, yeah. Um, probably a bad time to listen to Richard Rohr. He's just got, yeah. he's, he's, he's got a bedtime story voice, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Richard Rohr would read me to be. Uh, sleep every night I'd be very happy um, but following upward is great for that because it talks mm. about that journey but so psilocybin I think can be a great teacher um, it's a tool and it's for people in a certain place trying to do a certain thing I think generally speaking mm -hmm. but I do think looking forward I think this these could be amazing tools for us and I think historically they are used around the world as spiritual teachers very many um, kind of uh, uh witch doctors, uh, shamans, uh, spiritual leaders in different parts of the world will use hallucinogenics as a tool, you know, ayahuasca's and DMT's and magic mushrooms and things like that. They'll use as a tool to take people on a spiritual journey. And, and we were watching a documentary about people that yeah. had, were suffering with anxiety and depression and different things. Mm. And they went to um, the Netherlands, yeah. where it's completely legal, and there was a person there that it's basically like a retreat, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like a, yeah, it sounded great, and yeah. and they would sit with you and they'd say like, "Where are you at? Where are you stuck in life? What are you wanting to work on? What are you doing?" And they would think, "Okay, based on that, we're going to give you this dosage, and then we're going to set you up with certain." rituals to prepare yourself yeah. with meditate contemplate yeah. this and as you go through it we're going to come and check on you and maybe guide you a bit and give you a nudge in this direction or that direction i can see this being for the right person at the mm. right time as this becomes more legal in yeah, more places i could see this being an amazing retreat opportunity for people that are deconstructing mm. to have wise teachers mm. um almost the shamans of the mm. deconstructing maybe more mystical components of the deconstruction journey 
sitting with people and going, what are your story? What are you deconstructing? Where are you trying to go? What do you feel is next for you? And, um, and then taking them on a journey, uh, an assisted journey. Um, because we go to therapy for it, right? And, yeah. and actually in the 50s, this is how they used psilocybin is they used it in therapy. They really? gave people psilocybin. Mm. It lasts about six hours, most people. And they would sit with the therapist and the therapist would talk them through their issues. We saw another documentary about this actually. Yeah. And it was profound. Yeah. really profound, the yeah. changes in people. And they sat with a therapist for six mm. hours and the therapist talked them through a childhood memory and different things. And because what it does is psilocybin, it, it, it basically activates neurons and allows neural uh, pathways to grow mm-hmm. and to connect. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is as you're on psilocybin, you can rewire the brain quite literally. And so if you've got defaults and habits and things and ways of seeing things, that's why they see things like depression, anxiety, they're they're holes that you kind of get into because the brain starts turning a a pathway into a highway, right? You go from a little back road into a 17 lane interchange. Um, But what's beautiful is that can take years to kind of overcome and change, but it can almost change in an instant with a tool like psilocybin because what it does is it goes, oh, we could just rewire let's change that route to do this one instead and if you've got someone who's like you know clinically depressed like that's huge like to just suddenly be able to give them a whole new kind of lease of life yeah it makes me really excited about the future Mm -hmm. I, i think we get really um we get really bogged down about the state of the world and how people mm. are and the state where people are. And I think Mental depression health, is a huge yeah. issue right now, but I think it's always been a huge issue. I think we're just giving people yeah. space to have mental health. Yeah. You know, you look at how many people were on um, like Prozac and stuff yeah. in the fifties, all the housewives were like off their face on drugs because they were so depressed. And, um, you know, we, we forget like a lot of our history. Mm. And I think a lot of it now is we're just allowing people to talk. We're allowing men to have emotions well, no surprise that the men are suddenly going, I feel very emotional and I feel like a bit broken and undervalued and, yeah. you know, I don't know what's going on. And, oh, is it possible that men felt like this for most of history? Um, mm. You know, like, of course, these things are going to start coming up. But I feel like that's spurring us to start engaging with new tools yeah. and, and things and, and very um, natural and, and healthy. And there's very few side effects, actually, as well. Yeah. There's obviously our side effects and there's things to concern, mm. uh, to consider. But uh, generally speaking, a very, very safe yeah. um, tool. Yeah. So yes, yeah, psilocybin has been very helpful for me on my journey. Um, uh, I I don't recommend that people do it lightly, yeah. but I do recommend people think about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Especially if you are feeling like that's an area that you're really wanting to engage with, mm. the, the engaging with trying to kill some of your ego to try mm. and disconnect some of that story and, mm. and see what's lying under that. That that's a profound thing, and mm. certainly. Things like fear of death. Yeah. Um, we talked about that. Like, uh, that has been profoundly impacted because of my experiences of psilocybin. Like, um, things like, yeah, what I consider myself to be and mm. consciousness. And yeah, it's been profoundly impacted. So it's, I, it's been very important for me. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We're, okay, we're wrapping last up. Last question. We? Um, people wanting to know where you're at now um like what what do you believe what's next for you in your spiritual journey mm. am i a christian give me a label <laughs> right that's basically what people yeah. want they want like yeah are you a christian are well, you an atheist I don't know. It might, you... maybe it's maybe it's because they want to know how to label themselves or what to say to yeah. other people you know it's not necessarily like a yeah you know, intrusive question. No, no, no. I, I don't mean that either. I just think it's <laughs> yeah. just so much easier when we look at someone and we go, oh, like, Put them in a you're box. that. Like, yeah. I, I, I think we just, if, it helps us feel safe when we look at someone to go, 
what is this? Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. I look at a spider and I go, poisonous, not poisonous. Yeah. That's my first question. Right. To be honest with you, I look at a spider and I just think, I'm out of here, right? That's my yeah. first <laughs> But, you know, we, 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 to be able to categorize things helps us understand yeah. things and, and, and feel safe. And so it's natural and normal. Yeah. But I do think it's really problematic a lot of the time because we come from a world where we do have lots of ins and outs and black and whites. Mm. Um, and I think that can drive us as we continue um, and we still look for these kind of nice, clear cut labels. But if we're honest and we say, okay, what does being a Christian mean to your grandma? Mm. And is that the same thing as what being a Christian means to your best friend? Mm-hmm. And is that the same thing as what a Christian means to the Westboro Baptist Church? Yeah. Now put these three people in the room and they all say, I'm a Christian. Yeah. Do they all nod in agreement? Yeah. And also, what does if you say you're a Christian um, as a Westboro Baptist Church person uh, in a general church, most people are like, oh yeah, great, cool. <laughs> Guess what? I reckon they're going to be about 30 minutes in and this is going to turn really sour really (laughs) fast, right? Because you had one idea and an Mm -hmm. expectation and you build a story around that person Mm -hmm. and suddenly that story just dissolves when they go, yeah, of course, though, we got to go like picket that funeral of that gay person because gay people are the worst people on the planet. And you're like, whoa, that changed. That's really not what I was expecting from you because I didn't think Christians like that. Maybe you do think Christians like that. Mm But the point being, labels are really problematic. Because if I say, yes, I am a Christian, that's a big problem for the vast majority of Christians. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I don't say that. In many ways, I am a Christian. I I grew up a Christian. I have evolved from being a Christian. And being Christian is very much still a part of who I am. Like in the same way that being Scottish is the same part of who I am. And I'm not living in Scotland anymore. Like these are parts of who I am and who I've become. And much of the way I frame the world and see the world comes from that tradition and comes from that perspective. Um, But I'm not limited to that by any stretch of imagination. I feed from Buddhism and Taoism and I read, uh, you know, uh, Islam poet like Rumi or, you know, I I want to feed from it. I I read atheists all the time because I'm like, gosh, they have an amazing way of framing the world and understanding and providing meaning and purpose without necessarily having a God in the sky going, this is your meaning and purpose. Like, I love that stuff. And I think it's really important that we can let go of some of these black and white dualisms, you know, and let people um, be a little bit more gray, be a little bit more nuanced. So what do I believe? I believe that this is a really complex thing going on. Like, I don't think many of us have got it nailed down. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure that anyone that thinks they've got it nailed down is probably Mm. wrong Mm -hmm. because so far that has been the case. There's no one that's got this nailed down. Um, whether it's from a spiritual perspective, a philosophical perspective, a psychological perspective, a scientific, you know, chemical perspective. I mean, any area where we're like, oh, we're done, we start looking a bit closer and it gets completely turned on its head. You know, even just from the scientific community, like we think we're closer and closer to getting things done. And then we split an atom and go, holy shit, how many layers can we do this? And we start splitting and splitting and splitting. And before long, we're like, okay, now we have multi-world theory and we've got like, uh, we're teleporting like particles, subatomic particles, and uh, we're like, what the hell is happening? And we don't fully have many answers for a lot. We just have a ton of theories. We've got for every new answer we provide, it creates 10, 20, 30 questions. And so I think we're in a we're in a space where there's so much mystery and beauty. And I think that it's it's fun to engage with that. It's 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 beautiful to ha- hold on that open-handed. I think science answers a vast 
quantity of things that mysticism and spirituality answered before. Mm -hmm. So yes, you won't find many people worshipping the sun god anymore. But we did like 4,000 years ago because we didn't know where the hell the sun went. And the sun is important. Mm -hmm. So we worship the sun god. Yeah. Because we need that sun to come back tomorrow. Right. Right? So, but that doesn't happen anymore. Why? Because now we know where the sun goes. The other side of the world. The world just spun. The sun didn't even move. Well, it's kind of spiraling Mm. through the universe. But, you know, like... Yeah. As we grow, as we develop, Jesus deals with the epileptic kid who's falling over and foaming in the mouth and shaking, you know, maybe not epilepsy, but some sort of seizures and stuff. Like, that was called a demon. And he was like, yeah, I'll cast that demon out for you. And he healed the kids, right? Now, was it a demon? I don't know. Maybe it was epilepsy. Sounds like some sort of seizure. Mm -hmm. But in that world, they didn't have doctors. So... Demon might be the right word for that when you don't even know what a doctor is. You don't even know what medicine is. You don't have those. Now, if that person brought their kid into the ER and a kid falls over and says, my kid keeps falling over and shaking and foaming at the mouth, they'd be like, Jesus, get this guy to a neurologist and we'll get him some epilepsy yeah. medicine and we probably can get this in control. Yeah. If we can't heal it, maybe. I mean, right. the fact that Jesus healed this guy yeah. is amazing. Let's not... Still, so the thing yeah. is, it doesn't matter what we call it. Yeah. These miraculous, incredible things mm. happen. It's yeah. like when I talk about Bethel, like, holy crap, these things are crazy yeah amazing and we don't necessarily have answers for everything some things we'll be able to answer and in time i think a lot of these things will continue to answer so we now have an answer to what that kid had and maybe we even have a very rudimentary answer of how we might fix it long term we might even be able to cure epilepsy like that maybe we give us some sort of injection and it does some sort of change to their dna or i don't know and it cures epilepsy maybe but right now we can't and even if we do that's a miraculous beautiful astonishing thing but I do think that the universe is moving in a direction. I think uh, I love Rob Bell's stuff on this of everything is spiritual. I really recommend people watch his stuff on YouTube. I think they're both on YouTube. He's got two videos on that and he's got a great book on it. But we are moving from uh, chaos to order, from violence to love, from exclusion to inclusion. The whole universe is moving in this direction. The world is getting better and better and better. And we are getting more and more answers and we're getting more and more wise. And yet with every new answer and with all of our new wisdom, we are left astonished and in wonder and mystified. And I think that's exciting and that's beautiful. And we don't have the answers to what is consciousness? What are we? How How is this happening? Even some things like, I mean, I believe in evolution. Um, that's not hard for me i don't think it's very hard for most people in europe even christians i think a lot of christians believe in evolution it's a huge thing for christians in america um but i don't really believe in evolution sheerly by random chance i i feel that there's uh, some of these new concepts of evolution punctuated evolution quantum evolution um i because the data is that yes while random evolution could happen it's really, really statistically mm-hmm. unlikely. Mm. Like beyond statistically. Right. Like there's, there's not a number big enough for the okay. odds of like, you know, us getting from like nothing yeah. to this. Yeah. Um, now, of course, yes. And that's why this isn't here anywhere else. It's only here, right? Yeah. And so of course yeah. it's, it's rare that's because you know, we're the yeah. rare person. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, that's amazing. What are the odds of me being me? And there's no yeah. other Phil Dreisels in the world. And yeah. here he is right here. Yeah. Like, of course. Yeah. Um, so uh, there, of course, is part of that. But but there is a, I feel there's a direction, a push. There's a, there's a reason that we keep moving in a healthy way, in a, in a beautiful way. Um, and I think there's a direction to this. I don't know if you could call that God. You can call it 
reality, you could call it the ground of being, you could call it the universe, whatever whatever we call it. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know the answers. I'm not going to pretend to know the answers. I'm not going to pretend to label it with one specific word and go, oh yeah, this is Christianity. This is Buddhism. Uh, it, it, I think all of these traditions have been engaging with this idea and asking questions and coming up with new ideas. And I think that's a beautiful thing. I think that's a good thing. Um, and I think we should be feeding on all of these things and, and, and exploring and figuring out what makes sense to us and, and how does it help us engage with the world and with the people around us and with ourselves the best. Um, to me, I don't mind where people end up. I don't mind what works for them now because I know what worked for me last week doesn't work for me right now. Yeah. Like we're constantly growing and evolving. So why get so hung up on people finding the right thing to be and labeling it the right way when they're not going to be like that in 10 years now anyway? And so if I'm fixated on people believing what I believe today, well, I failed miserably if they listen to this podcast two years from now because mm -hmm. I'm not going to be this person. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think we have to be a little bit less tight-fisted over what we believe and how we're growing. I think we have to be more open to the fact that we are answering things that, that dissolve mystery, and that's very real. We The things that were mysterious 2,000 years ago are no longer mysterious. But we also have to look ahead with wonder and go, but there's so much new mystery opening up in front of us and that's so exciting and, and we don't have the answers for those things. And maybe we will. Maybe we keep doing that. Like maybe there is a reductionist component of we just can always figure this out. Um, but we haven't, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's always space for, even if this has a, a definitive answer, right? Even if the, there's a, a scientific reason uh, or, or answer to how Jesus healed that epileptic kid, doesn't really change the fact that it's amazing mm. it's beautiful it's a miracle it's 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 love in action it's compassion it's empathy it's 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 wonderful you know even if i can i mean you can even ask this simple questions like what is love right i mean ask 100 people what love is and they'll give you different answers and even in the scientific community different people will explain that differently um and even if one day we can bottle it up we can go, okay, so it's this much cortisol, it's this much, you know, adrenaline, it's this much, like, that's what love is. It's just hormones bouncing around in your body with the right thoughts, and there you go, you've got love. Even if we can do that, it's a really amazing thing. And what a beautiful thing, and, and what a profound thing, and what a astonishing thing. I think we, we don't want to lose wonder just because we can explain something, um, or just because we have managed to reduce it down to some chemical formula um and so for me the world and the universe is still miraculous and beautiful and exciting and um yeah i think there's just so much ahead um why why try and remove all of that like, mm. like you know I, I i'm constantly seeking out truth and, and answers and i'm always doing that but it's from a joy and it's from the joy of the yeah. journey. And it's from the joy of knowing with every new answer, I end up with two more questions. This, this is, it's like watching Lost, right? Mm -hmm. You never get more, yeah. uh, you never get, get resolved. Yeah. You're like, even the, the season finale, right? You're like, okay, we're down to 5,000 questions. How are they going to answer it? Even mm -hmm. if they answer the 5,000 questions, you're probably going to come away with a few answers, yeah. questions. Um, yeah. And so, but that's the fun of it. I actually love that. Um, and, and, I, and I think that's the way good TV should be like that. 
TV that doesn't resolve at the end is good TV because it's 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 engaging, it's real, it's it's it, it draws you in in the way that life draws you in. Mm. Um, the happily ever after is kind of a boring end because you're like, well, what happened after that? I disagree. I like it. I, I like a nice. Well, you're the person that pauses movies ending. before they end yeah. if you know the ending's going to be bad. <laughs> yeah, I need that. <laughs> That's so funny. That is so funny. <sighs> I think we've done it, babe. Anything to add? No. You're good. You're like, we've I'm done good. this twice. <laughs> oh, well, good job, everyone that hung in. Yeah, I'm very impressed um, we've made it to the end. Especially to Tilly, who hung in <laughs> right through. That We've done this for about six hours today. Oh, my so. gosh. Um, yeah, we did it. Thank you. I appreciate it. We'll have you back on as well. I'm sure people will want to hear mm. more from Tilly. Because you, you have only so much to say when it is uh, let's, let's Tell Phil's Journey. Because people have asked me again and again, mm. Where can I get your journey? Where can I get your yeah. story? And so the, the, the yeah. idea behind this is just to get, kind of create some a dump for people um, where I can just immediately go, you want my story? This is a podcast. Podcast 100. Yeah. Um, just whack the microphone. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, that's been a soft entry for you as well because it didn't require too much mm. conversation on your part. But we'll, we'll, we'll do another podcast which mm, requires a bit we'll more see. conversation. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Wonderful. Love you all. And uh, I'll see you again for another episode and you'll see her again. Mm. All right. That was my journey so far and, and my story of deconstruction. Uh, I hope you enjoyed hearing about that. Uh, I hope you enjoyed uh, Tilly's guest appearance. Um, I do hope to have her back on. Um, I'd love to um, do more stuff with her as far as interactions uh, on the podcast, maybe some a uh, bit more discussional. Obviously, it's uh, hard for her to share too much on my journey. She's only been uh, part of that for the last kind of uh five years or so um and so there's a, there's a lot uh in that process that uh she, she isn't able to fill in on um and so yeah hopefully we get her on at some point to to share her journey and her story because um it, it would be great to have that and i sure I, I know a lot of you would um resonate with with her journey as well um but i do hope you enjoyed that um i'll leave you there i'm not going to ramble as always check out the deconstruction network if you're going through deconstruction it's a great free resource to connect with other people that are going through that journey at the deconstructionnetwork.com and as i said at the beginning if you want to support what i'm doing and keep everything free and accessible for everyone um you can do that over on patreon patreon.com slash phil drysdale or phil slash partner um and get access to a few perks um obviously everything i do is free so there's only so much in the way of perks i can give away when uh, everything is already free um but there's a discussion group and some monthly zooms and things like that anyway it was great uh it's great to be back it's, it's good to uh, to be out of christmas and new year and, and back into the swing of things i'm really looking forward to catching up with a bunch of you um, do shoot me messages on instagram i always love chatting with you and catching up with you um, and so never never question if if you're uh, uh, annoying me or, or wasting my time my time is literally here to connect with you guys and help you um, in any way I can and so do shoot me a DM and let me know how your Christmas New Year was I'm sure um, for many of you it was one of your first Christmases um, having gone through deconstruction and that can be a very crazy time a very challenging time and so yeah I'm here if you need all right I love you all I'll catch you in the next podcast peace <laughs>